Hey everyone, we've got big news. We're doing our first live show in just a few weeks, Monday, November 19th, 2018, at The Resident in downtown LA. It's at 8 p.m., and you can get tickets at residentdtla.com. It's our first live show. Leslie's going to be out here in Los Angeles for only the second time. You know, the only other time was my wedding. So that's how impactful and serious this live show is. You know, uh, uh, you you better be there or you're going to regret not hearing these hot takes in person. Yes. Uh, In fact, we're not even sure if we're going to be recording this. Okay, this will be exclusive to the audience there. We're going to have a lot of cool stuff, too. We're going to have T-shirts, a Mm -hmm. zine, merch, all sorts of good stuff for the Struggle Session listeners. But only if you're there live. Buy your tickets now. This show will sell out. It is impossible in my judgment to deal with the indictment of Mr. Baldwin unless one is prepared to deal with him as a white man. Unless one is prepared to say to him, the fact that your skin is black is utterly irrelevant to the arguments that you raise. Uh, The fact uh, that uh, you sit here as is your rhetorical device uh, and lay the entire weight of the Negro ordeal on your own shoulders uh, is irrelevant to the argument that we are here to discuss. The gravamen of Mr. Baldwin's charges against America are not so much that our civilization has failed him and his people, that our ideals are insufficient, but that we have no ideals, that our ideals rather are some sort of a superficial coating uh, which we come up with at any given moment in order to justify Uh, whatever commercial and noxious experiment we are engaged in. Uh, Thus, uh, Mr. Baldwin can write his book, The Fire Next Time, uh, in which he threatens America. Uh, He didn't, in writing that book, speak with the British accents that he used exclusively tonight, uh, in which he threatened America with the necessity uh, for us to uh, jettison... Uh, For us to jettison our entire civilization, the only thing that the white man has that the Negro should want is that is power. Uh, And he is treated from coast to coast in the United States. got mad at leslie for that piece there were a lot of people know, that got insane. upset with them yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, people they, don't like it yeah people like they just don't want to think about you know like people? They, they they don't want to accept the fact that maybe there's like actual ideas in like a shock slocky film like they're so right, used right. to seeing like it has to be like 12 years a slave or, right or even or, it has to be deus or ex machina if it's going to be a schlock one, yeah. it has to at least be one with a little gloss on it. Right, there right. cannot possibly be themes in a you know uh, uh, in a movie that would be released at Universal Studios or yeah. Universal City Walk. We are living in the era of elevated horror and post comedy. Post comedy, how what a fun! Post comedyisms and entertainment. Yeah. So fun, so fun. Yeah, the, we, it's it's post comedy week for those of you who are listening at home. Uh, I don't know when this will go up, but we are right now at the end of post comedy week vox's post comedy week uh, uh so how do you guys spend your uh, uh how do you guys spend well, your well, post comedy weeks jack jack slow down for a second okay 
because first of all, we have to introduce the episode, especially this one. Sorry. Because it's our 100th episode, everybody. Oh, wow. Wow. That Congratulations. Is struggles. Yeah, they said we couldn't do it. But yeah. we did it. A lot um, of people said that, specifically I, I mean, about I, the 100 episodes. I said it. I said it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you said it in the, the last time you appeared. Yeah, yeah, yes. You guys will never make 100, right. you cowards. And yet, <laughs> here we are. We have a 100 pieces of content yes. for yes. you. Well, this is quite the subscriber. library. We have built a library, and, and we own it now. We, all, we own 100 pieces in this library. This is our intellectual property now. So... Congratulations to us. We're a brand, dude. Well, now we now we can get into syndication, you know, podcast syndication. Yeah. That's that's the magic number, 100 podcast episodes. Right. Then, <laughs> then that's that Debmar Mercury number. That's you, right. They'll start ready. If you get 100, they start running uh they start running your stuff late night on TBS. You get <laughs> they start running episodes of uh Are you ready for Leslie to start hawking me undies? <laughs> well, hello everyone. Hello. Hi. Well, <laughs> well hello everyone. Welcome to Struggle Session. I'm Leslie the Third. I'm Jack Allison. I'm Jonathan Daniel Brown. Uh, and today we're joined by uh, uh, a guy who needs no introduction, but here's one anyway. You know him from the Doughboys podcast and uh, Sarah Silverman's I-, "I Love You America" show. It's Nick Weiger, everybody. Hello, everyone. Hey, thanks for coming on, Nick. Oh man, so thrilled to be back. I guess people won't know you from. You know, Sarah Silverman's, unless they watch the credits of it, but he writes yeah. on the Sarah Silverman. Does Hulu skip show. credits the way that Netflix does now? I don't know. And I've always felt that that's shady from a union perspective. The yeah, fact I that would that say so. But I mean, I guess in. they were doing it on cable anyway. They would squish it all the way up against like uh, uh, the An side. Ad for a Tyler Perry movie or something. Yeah. yeah. It is like that as technology has advanced, they've been figuring out ways to like marginalize like literally marginalize talent like squeeze <laughs> yeah, them like squeeze into them a, out of the frame yeah, entirely. Yeah, yeah. the one the one i like is like the law and order svu on usa to, on usa where like they will shrink the screen to like one eighth of the screen and roll it like triple speed and like right. already <laughs> playing the, the next episode at the top and like, you, you already know who these fuckers are come on in the good old days they used to just have announcers uh advertise the next show with their own voice are you excited? There's a new episode of Ellen coming. Like, well, sit in your seats and strap in. We maybe got- America once was great. Maybe Ameri- yeah. maybe there was a time when America was great. <laughs> um, well, Nick, uh, uh, thank you for being here. And I, and I, you know, I think we're gonna. I mean, I, we're, I think we're gonna do a hybrid episode today. Oh boy, we're going okay. to, you know, like the Pred Alien. I think we're gonna do a hybrid episode, and I think we're gonna do a half deep dive, so like a shallow dive, sure, a shallow dive into Final Fantasy, and then we'll roll it into some topical bullshit. But Why not do it off of a uh, high dive? So how did you got? How did you spend your post comedy week, Jonathan? Well, I spent my post comedy week uh, cringing at the fact that I use my middle name. Uh, publicly, because that seems to be a, a uh, running theme in annoying people on the internet. Is oh, really? Putting their middle names in everything. And also, do. the assassins. Assassins all have the uh, the middle yeah, name, right? That's Isn't that assassins. True. And with John Wilkes Booth, you actually had both. Yeah. Uh, there's a great book you should uh, check out sometime if you're ever bored called Assassination Vacation by Sarah Vowell. Mm-hmm. Uh, she plays Violet Incredible, but she's also a, a writer. And uh, she just went on a road trip to all these different places where people uh, killed the president. So it mm-hmm. was very interesting. It, all, all of these assassins had a lot in common. They were very much attention-seeking. A lot of them were public figures, or they wanted to be public figures, or they were obsessed with public, fig- obsessed with public figures. 
Uh, very little, very few of them had uh, any political knowledge at all. The assassins? Yeah, they were just kind of, they just, a lot of them just really wanted to be famous. It's really interesting. Uh, good book. So, how'd you spend your post-comedy week, Nick? Oh, great question. Um, you know, I sort of, I'm working on this, uh, this one-man show where I'm just sort of atoning for all the branded content I've participated in <laughs> over the past 10 years. So, you know, Burt Reynolds died recently, yeah. and I remembered that I worked on a Captain Crunch branded spot. <laughs> Uh, where Captain Crunch has a talk show on his pirate ship. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah and he, yeah. in one of them, he interviews, uh, Burt Reynolds and I think gets him to like get in a hot tub of milk with a soggy or I'm something. I'm glad you were able to facilitate that before he passed. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad that he was made to do that for Captain Crunch. Yeah. And you had, and you played a small role in that. Yeah, and you know, he was probably half conscious of what was happening, but <laughs> how, how warm was the milk? Uh, boy, that's a good question. I honestly, I might be misremembering the beats of this, because it's all a blur. Because I would sit in a hot tub of milk if it was at least 95 degrees. Okay, okay, that's that's all right. Yeah, but, uh, you know, that's basically what I've been doing, exploring that, uh, you know. Maybe it's good that we're post-comedy. Now that (laughs) that we remember what comedy once was, uh, maybe it's good to be in the post-era He hated uh, Boogie Nights. Interesting fact. Um, You know, I was really inspired by... A piece that I saw, I think it was on Vulture or Vox, but uh, it was, you know, uh, a bunch of comedians uh, apologizing for the the jokes that they made that aren't okay anymore. I saw so, that. Jake so it was Flores, like, who was on the show, participated <laughs> in that. Yeah, enemy of, you, the, enemy of the show, Jake Flores, even though his contribution was actually good and kind of pointed it out. Was, not that it bad. Was Everything was bullshit. Yeah, Jake, he's the enemy of the show because his show, uh, unfortunately, um, since he... Was we gave him that spot? His show sometimes get a few more downloads than us, and I don't Ooh, appreciate that. Oh I don't care for that. I don't care for that. All Jake, Alex, um, you're on notice. Alex, you're on notice. Bro- Alex, you Brooklynites are at it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, uh, in any event, I read that piece, and you know, I was just floored and inspired by you know. Weird Al reevaluating the time he used the word midget in a song in the 1980s. Uh, so I've just been spending the week thinking back on all the, the jokes I've made that through the lens of 2018 could potentially be looked at as offensive. And, uh, yeah, I've been, uh, uh, flagellating myself. I've been, uh, writing them all on a paper, burning the pages and, uh, whipping myself on the back. It seems cool. healthy. It's cool that, like, uh, it's cool that, uh, Culture bloggers are essentially the church now. Mm-hmm. I like that they give us our, our penance and they give us opportunities to confess the bad things we've done and yeah. then to uh, make peace with the public yeah. and yeah, ourselves. When, That's yeah, definitely t- a healthy thing. <laughs> when we titled the show Struggle Session, it was supposed to be kind of a joke. Uh, yeah. But it, I feel like by 2019, it will have to be literal in order to uh, yeah. keep up. Like, it's so funny. And, and like, and we have to, and we peel back, like, why is this happening? Uh, is because people let like you know sex offenders run around and stuff, so everybody else has to atone. Like while the sex offenders <laughs> get right. to come back without apologizing. Right. Well, right. If you're a sex offender, you either live under a bridge or you work for the right. president or have a Hollywood deal. But There's no in between. It is partially because Louis jacked off in front of uh, of those women that Paul Shear has to do an article like apologizing for a sketch he did about 9-11 in 2002. Like, the two are in some way connected. Everybody having to uh, uh, be like, eh, you know, comedy was bad, but we're okay now. We're not Hey, here's monsters. a connection. 
Louis C.K. three-part name. Wow. Oh, there you go. Wow. Just like John Wilkes Booth. John W.B. My understanding with a C.K. and Louis C.K. is that it's a, it's like phonetically how his last right. name is pronounced. Right. It's, it's like a Portman initials. Tau, right? No, yeah. I think it's like a Polish last name. It's like C.K. or something like that. And like, it's just pronounced C.K. Yeah, it's like uh, spelled S-Z-Y-K-A. Yeah. But at, now we know that the reason why is because obviously to hide his identity. I Look. mean, at this point, uh, uh, this man's running around under an assumed name. Um, I don't know. Showing ne- up at comedy venues. Neoliberal, neoliberal, modern neoliberal politics are in a state of crisis. And so that is creating uh, chaos amongst the rich who subscribe to neoliberal- neoliberalism. And I mean, I, I don't want to get too psychoanalytical here. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, I'm not Sigmund Freud or anything, but I do think that post-comedy and elevated horror come from this weird kind of Victorian desire to refuse to have fun when things are bad. Mm. This idea that the world sucks right now and, and I'm very rich, so I cannot enjoy these things. I... My comedy has to have a dose of suffering in it. My horror schlock has to have a dose of art film. It is... I, I cannot... Unless I am giving myself some sort of... uh you know, educational or important or, or God forbid, anything but not serious uh, <laughs> content in my life or culture in my life, then I, I'm not doing a, time a bad for thing. It. Right. This is now not is time. not the time. Now is not the time. I think there are like, there are like two acceptable forms of joy. One is like just dunking on a, a <laughs> like on someone on Twitter. Like someone has like a, whor- like a, sure. a completely unacceptable opinion and then dogpiling on them. Like that's okay. Sure. And then also like, just some sort of life affirming video of say you know uh, a little kid giving juice boxes to a, a bunch of people waiting in line for unemployment checks or something like that sort of thing is like oh yeah we can we can feel good about sure. this because this is this is they're a, all veterans bright, too exactly right <laughs> there's a little bright spot in this in this uh, plague in this we world inhabit. yeah, yeah. You, you know JDB I, of all you know the kind of somewhat uh, hairbrain conspiracy theories you have come up with on these hundred episodes of shows. Wow, that is by far the best one because oh when you really, think about it, good, when you really yeah. look back at when you really look at back at it, the first post comedy that we've had is Trevor Noah's The Daily Show because yeah. it is objectively so not funny, but it's we're supposed to pretend like it's important. Like, right? Like it that has might even some, be anti comedy. Well, I, I don't even. I don't think it's anti comedy. That's like that's Andy yeah. Kaufman is anti comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there's this new tone of political comedy, and I think I I seen clips from Sarah's show. And she does okay, actually. You guys do okay over there. But there. Oh is yeah, this I'm kind sure of Sarah's like, show is fantastic. Uh, Nick, I, there I is seen this it. kind of like hectoring, patronizing tone to it. It's all a call to action. Like you would never see a host of any of these political talk shows be like, "Now what do I know about anything?" But this, like, it's always like, "Now what we need to do is start sending the letters today. Like, get out there and make your voice heard." It's like, isn't this a fucking comedy show? Yeah, I mean, go go for it, please. I was just gonna say, Stewart sort of got that going, and and. Now John Oliver makes it kind of a weekly practice. Yeah. Every every uh, last week tonight, I feel like, ends with an advocacy hashtag. Sure. But here's Usually the weird thing, like, Trevor Noah does. Like, people, uh, like, are always talking about how nobody shares clips of any of Trevor Noah's shows. So what they start doing is making viral clips of what he says to the audience between the jokes. Right. That aren't so written, weird. where he's just... 
Like he's just taught learning about, you know, if you really, uh, you know, think about this stuff, you know, that maybe like some of this stuff is, you know, actually really, really quite bad. Um, reflect upon it. Um, and and Trump, uh, he's just, you know, we keep saying that, you know, he's this new bombshell is dropping, but actually, it's always bad. It would be a bombshell if he was smart. Like he yeah. actually has like clips and shit like Wait, that. That line was really viral. funny. He said the line he said there was like, you know, it would be a bombshell. If they found Trump working out or teaching <laughs> kids to code, <laughs> it's what Trevor Noah actually said. Anyway, what were you gonna say, Nick? Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say it's it's hard to, it's almost h- difficult to avoid feeling like you're giving a lecture when you tackle anything that's going on right now, because right. to some degree it is so bleak. Uh, but what I'm curious uh, on your guys' take is. Why do you think the 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 show aside the comedy of the show aside why do you think Trevor Noah's politics are so bad like would I would kind of almost expect him uh and this is this is maybe superficial but just because of his upbringing and his experiences as an, as an immigrant in a country that's hostile sure. to immigrants to be a little bit more progressive but he seems kind of aggressively centrist well, uh i think rich people are just shitty worldwide and then they come to america <laughs> he seems to have held even in south africa some kind of uh, centrist to i would even say right wing beliefs sure. uh, uh, like what he was saying about those protests and you know that the only way to end a protest is like to crack heads and send in tear gas and shit. I'm like, I, I, this is you at like 22 years old or something. Like, yeah. where does this come from? You know, and on a bigger note, I do think there is a weird sort of reverse colonialism in that so many of the late night talk shows are British or Australian or just they have like some sort of colonial accent. Yeah. Those are the immigrants uh, that are taking our jobs, God damn. Yeah, it's yeah. true. It's true. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I pull, pull Chris Hemsworth's H-1B. Give me <laughs> more American actors uh, uh, and hosts. Uh, uh. But there, there is something to be said. I mean, about like you know, if you if you live in like Kentucky and you like flip the channel and you know you go from James Corden to Harvard Seth Meyers yeah. to you know. Uh, well, Harvard's know. not a foreign country. Yeah, but it might as well be. Yeah, sure. Okay, I can give it to uh, you. There's the, there is an accent, which is so funny. The Harvard accent is so weird. I'm just surprised the transatlantic accent hasn't come back yet. Right, right. The the, the fake, uh, you know the um, what do you what do you call it? The the. William Randolph Hearst had it. Oh, sure, sure, sure. sure. Uh, Angelina classic. Jolie is like the last person with a transatlantic accent. <laughs> I've a uh, you know I have a natural I it, and and it used to be stronger but I have a natural inclination to be to be you know a little bit skeptical of anyone from Harvard although sure. I've I've met and interacted with some people from Harvard who there are, are like, some good ones who are I'm funny sure funny and smart and sure. grounded it's like and, Trump said about like uh, the Mexicans when he started running for president it's like although I am sure there are some good ones uh, uh, but Br- he, Brie Gray is cool <laughs> yeah Brie Gray is great and Hayes Davenport I understand is a yeah, good guy Hayes is a good guy and but you know I've talked to uh, and and uh, I, I some of some people I've talked to from Harvard. It's been interesting to hear them kind of candidly be like, "Oh yeah, they're dumb people at Harvard," yeah. <laughs> which you don't think of. But like, so if you if you examine the people who come out of this uh, this elite institution and end up, you know, as pundits or uh, working in the White House, like a lot of them just seem like dipshits. Yeah, and it makes sense because it's just like there are so many legacy admissions at, yeah. at, at the Ivy well, League. Also, a lot of these like, people are just dumb. You know what? Also, like. uh 
being good at high school doesn't mean you're a smart person. Even That's if you're true. not a legacy admission, right. like being the best at doing homework for years 12 to 18 of yeah. your life is not like the biggest accomplishment. That at, you some can level, at some level, at some level, it's an extension of like being good at mazes. It's, yeah. just like, it's like a skill you had as a kid right, that right. you worked at. And yet they somehow the determine uh, how you get paid forever. Well, right. and also it determines uh, uh, who like holds control of all the rest of our lives. Like, uh, I mean, yeah. you look at Brett. Kavanaugh and I'm like oh he's just some doughy little man who went to an Ivy League college and here he's gonna be uh, uh, determining everything for all the rest of us forever he seems legit stupid yes too. he like, does he seems like a dumb guy yes he does not seem like a bright he seems like like a like like a country bumpkin or something <laughs> kind of <laughs> anyway yes, we're off he topic gets his, here we're gonna he gets to decide the um, bodily autonomy for women for you know the rest of time basically for the rest right. of our lives probably eh, maybe not I'll die before anyone else so for rest of my life it's a good thing our hero John McCain is giving us the final vote yeah to pe- push him through yeah thank God for <laughs> our hero John McCain the Maverick. Yeah. Giving us Brett Kavanaugh and potentially repealing Roe versus Wade. What a hero! Yeah, Kane thank is. you, thank you. Even, even, even in death, um, respect yeah, to even the in Did you I, watch Obama's speech today? Did you guys watch uh, Obama's uh, speech at uh, Illinois today? I watched it. Fell asleep. <laughs> is that what Trump said? <laughs> Trump Couldn't won. keep my eyes open. <laughs> I mean, he he said, "Don't man... boo vote again." What he said, "Don't boo vote." Yeah, he don't did boo that vote. again. Yeah. That's that shit. Didn't work in 2016. Yeah. It doesn't work. Don't uh, boo, vote, doesn't work. Don't tweet, don't get angry. Just take action and vote. Uh, yeah. God, it sucks. It's, he's just pot. Pod Save America has sort of revealed Obama as a scam artist because when you have three uh, kind of frat dudes saying the exact same thing Barack Obama says, it doesn't actually sound that interesting. Right. And then when Obama <laughs> says it again, it sounds really I'm weird. I'm like, wait a second, this is what the Pod Save America guys are saying. What the fuck? He sounds like them. It's yeah. it's like a flip has happened where they sounded like him, and now he sounds like them. And that is so, so funny <laughs> that what Pod Save America is, and sorry to rope you into this, Nick, oh, no, this happens please. all the time, but what it is is it's like, we. that is what people liked about them, that it's like they're kind of like Obama, but they're three whites. Right. It's three white guys who are like Obama. <laughs> it's the best of best of both worlds. Do you do you think they're they're afraid that the British invasion will come to podcasting and then there will be like three British guys doing their, their wise political podcast like a little bit more highbrow that everyone starts listening to oh. instead? Pod they save say the bollocks qu- instead of Pod shit. save yeah. the Queen would actually make sense. It would make sense. Oh, that would actually be a name that makes sense that'd be so funny if three british guys came in with pod save the queen and they just started killing if you're them. british and you listen to struggle session come talk to us we'll, yeah. we'll we'll put together the show for you we'll get you all set up out <laughs> yes, here if you're, if you're british and you worked uh under i don't know uh uh God, I don't even want to Thatcher. Do it. Forget it. Thatcher, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got you, Jack. Tony you. Blair. <laughs> Tony Blair. <laughs> Theresa May is not that much better, but you yeah. know, she's at least she's ineffective. What and else he- is going on? Oh yeah. Okay. This is interesting actually. What does everybody think about about the new Q, Anonymous himself? There's a new Q? Well, the new Q, Anonymous, right. on uh, the New York Times the op-ed anonymous. page. Oh, the left. Yeah. The, the, the Q for liberals. Q. Yeah, yeah, the Q for liberals. I mean, it's a lot of fun. I, I like, you know, this is 
the word witch hunt's been thrown around. This is a good old-fashioned witch hunt. This is a fun one. We get to find you know out who, who the witch is. What it's been like the last couple days on CNN, and I watch it still sometimes. I don't know why I do this to myself, but I watch it. It, I, it reminds me a lot of uh, when uh, when Who Killed Mr. Burns happened. Right. And everyone was talking all the time, laying out the pictures of all the Simpsons characters and are... really agonizing over who might have killed Mr. Burns. It was Rainier Wolf Castle. <laughs> yeah. We are deep into season two of Battlestar Galactica. Well, Tactica at this point. Yeah. I, I am very excited that we are having a full-blown Cylon hunt. <laughs> uh, so I do think it's a little weird. I, I was tweeting about this, too, and I thought about this earlier, but, like, it is weird that it's like, this is the New York Times. So, you know, a, a source comes with a story. Aren't you supposed to, like, talk to, like, the reporters and the reporters write it down and then they, like, write a story about it? It's weird to me that whoever this is, like, wrote a blog post and was like, can you guys, like, publish this for right. me, like, directly? <laughs> I mean, like, I think that's to, strange. To be clear, the New York Times just gave Trump a- ammo. Well, and, and a also, lot of ammo. And also Trump gave, immediately stood in front of all these cops. Yeah. And they, we've got Trump's back, all these mustachioed but, sheriff dudes. But I think even more insidiously, I think they gave, like, pretty good cover to non-Trump Republicans. Right. Yes, I think that this absolutely. is straight-up propaganda published, like, without editing. Like, just straight-up published by the New York Times right. to say, like, we, we Republicans are, are not like Trump. Like, yeah. it's odd. It's gross a little bit, I think. I mean, think. it's a soft coup. It's te- it's I don't know if it's a coup because it, like they're not it's doing a anything. Soft one. It's a it's, it's a, a fucking it's not a it's coup. A they're not a telling. Deal, and I think New York Times should know better actually. Mm. But it's not a coup because a coup would actually like be like uh, stopping the Trump agenda. But it's not. He just makes a bunch yeah. Of, a coup uh, is going in the fucking Oval Office with a gun and saying you're okay. not the president anymore, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's what it is. That's what a coup actually well, is, but, right? Like, what this is is they there's manipulating this guy whose brain is essentially a cup of yogurt yeah. into doing whatever they I want. Don't I, that's we not didn't how vote I. For... That's not how I read the op-ed. When I read yeah. this op-ed, the op-ed to me reads: They're like, I believe in the agenda of this president. I believe right. in the agenda of this White House. Mm-hmm. I just think sometimes, like Trump is like bad, th- like bad, like thinks yeah. things wrong. But look at all the don't... good things we did. But look, we're doing yeah, a lot exactly. of stuff. I'm like, I don't actually agree that you're doing good stuff. I uh, reject the premise, even to begin with. Right. That any of this stuff is good stuff, and I really think that it's just them trying to separate themselves from Trump. I was just going to say it really the the what that article boils down to what that op-ed boils down to is this pudding brained groper is not <laughs> executing wealth transfers to the rich effectively enough. <laughs> right. Like, it's, yeah. so, like, it's so fucking insidious. Mm-hmm. And I, I do like that. I do feel like generally from not everyone, I feel like maybe not not CNN and, and MSNBC, but generally the take I've seen even from liberals has been kind of. Fuck this guy, you know, which is heartening. Sure. Um, and he's still going to get a book deal. No he's still going to get a book deal 100%. He's yeah. going to be an MSNBC talking head. But yeah. it, it, I, this I, is David Frum. This is the new David Frum exactly. for the rest of my life. But I do like that, like, the new David Frum is maybe met with a little bit more skepticism right. than the yeah. actual David Frum. Well, and I think it was pretty obvious that it was, you know, there was this 20 minute period where everyone was like, it's Pence, it's Pence, it's Pence. And it's like, wait a second, the vice president's not. He's a dumb man. Mike Pence is not a smart man, but look, uh, I, I, I he know. is addicted to using the word lodestar. I mean, he said it like a hundred thousand times. So if you wanted to set up a guy, and by the way, the New York Times by putting lodestar in there f- is fucking up because they're intentionally misinforming it's, misinforming it's, their it's, readers. It's, it's strange. Don't lie. Journalists shouldn't fucking lie it, and play games with their readers. It is strange that there was something published in the New York Times that has like. 
clues right. in it yeah. and shit. Like, uh, That's not it's your like fucking job. People are talking about it like like Lost or something. It's like, it's like when they published the Zodiac ciphers in yeah. the like San Francisco paper and tried to get everyone to help solve the puzzle. It's like, it's it's like the same sort of thing. Yeah. Except they know the answer. It's they like kind know. of like it's a contest. So, well, I was thinking about this. Like, If one of the reporters is in the elevator with James Bennett, the editor, like the head editor of the opinion page, does he like ask? Are you like, James, who was uh, who was the anonymous op-ed guy? Can you right. tell me? <laughs> like, uh, like, it's it's, like, sorry, I've got a meeting with Barry White. It's too strange. Right. Like, it, it is too weird. It's too weird. It's like Deep Throat meeting with Woodward and Bernstein and like right. being like, here's the document. Like, I wrote it last night. Like, I think it's perfect. Like, let me know what you guys think and if it can go in the paper. Great, yeah. I'll just I'll just, I'll have our copy editor do a pass, <laughs> and then you just want to be put as anonymous. Yeah. Like we'll just credit you yeah. as anonymous. Just uh, yeah, and don't change too much. Don't okay. change. It's very important that it stay the way that right. it's written. It's, uh, 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 a, do you want to put in more clues? <laughs> yeah, it's and creepy. they send them. They send them an email asking for a ten ninety nine A so yeah. you know, a freelance writer. Hey, Deep Throat, we're gonna send you uh, fifty dollars. <laughs> Nah, do you, want, do you have a cor- do you have a loan out corporation? Do you just want to be paid as an individual? <laughs> it's too strange. It, what really bo- just it really just bothers me, like reading through it. Like there's no su- real substance to it, but like it sucks all the political energy out of the room, right? And basically yeah. allows Trump to now do whatever the fuck he wants behind the scenes because yeah. everybody's just talking about this, you know, one guy who basically helps Trump along, and yeah. it allowed as it's very insidious because it allowed allowed him, you know, freely to paint the tax cuts as good to right. paint yeah. all. Like most of Trump's agenda, as good the military spending, yeah, reasonable, responsible, conservative stuff without challenge. Where if you had, if they had done like a real job as a journalist and just wrote a story, they could just put in the relevant parts. Like this is such and challenge you know, it, and you yeah. know, uh, fact check it, things like yeah, that. Right? It's such journalistic mal- like malpractice. Like what pisses me off, like more than anything, is so, like every time the New York Times posts this garbage or article about Barry Weiss or uh, Brett Stevens, it's like you remember right when Trump got elected. Everyone told you, like, the most important thing you can do is subscribe to the New York Times and the Washington Post. That was the the November 2016, you must vote. Right. That was was the refrain then was, like, we must support a strong and independent press. And now that's, like, they're just, like, here's something from... from uh geez uh, uh steve un- mnuchin here's right. a steve mnuchin piece uh, uh yeah. that we're just not it's going just to interesting edit think that the flax are going to start losing their jobs and the, the you know the shitheads are just going to stop even bothering to hire people to speak for them yeah. soon enough i do think it's propaganda and i do think that like new york times should know better and they are kind of complicit in and i think that they are like maybe knowingly complicit in trying to like reset what america is and go back to the grift as it was it's before a game. To, sure. to help separate the republicans from trump so that we can go back to the same old they're fiscal and uh, liberals want uh, healthcare right and this isn't this is this is someone else's take that i'm stealing here but i but right. i liked it and i bought it which is that 
we saw this before with Bush. With W, it, in the aftermath of W, it was just he wasn't a real conservative. That right. wasn't whenever, when his approval right. rating was at like 35% as he was leaving office or whatever it was. That was the, the Tea Party was the break from W right. saying W, who was like just advancing Reaganism all the way through his presidency to its logical extension. And now Trump is pushing that even further. Yeah. But they're saying W was not actual, actually conservatism. They're trying to replay that with Trump in anticipation of this going down in flames. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which Maybe it will, maybe it won't. I don't know. Yeah. Speaking yeah, of past so, presidents. Well, oh, sorry, uh, I, well this, this is something I kind of want to talk about on the show because we haven't really put a pin on it um, just yet. And it, it's something that a lot of liberals believe, and Nick was just touching on, this idea of like the good conservative. And this kind of right. ties in with our post-comedy because uh, John Mulaney made this post after Steve Bannon was invited oh, yeah. to um, – the New Yorker thing, yeah, the, to the uh, New Yorker um, Ideas um, Festival. So by post and comedy, you mean uh, uh, a post by someone who does comedy? That exactly, is exactly. Here. Yes, a <laughs> comedy poster. Because I, I mean, that's kind of what started it all. Like every comedian, you know, that's so, that's what's so funny is I saw this article about post comedy, and I was like, uh, like I I thought I was like post comedy. I do post comedy, like, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it did post comedy did start with all the comedians becoming political pundits like every single it is true. one. It started like, as it, it first started it was comedians became posters and then they became post comedy. It's <clears throat> tough because I think there's a lot of pressure if you're just like throwing jokes out there yeah. then you're getting barraged with like why aren't you speaking out about children in cages you know oh, yeah. you're getting bombarded yeah. with that and so you feel like you have to address hey, it. Hey you know what let's all just be honest what people want in this world is for you to be yourself and for you to like speak honestly as yourself like we are yeah, living right. in an odd and new time where it is not enough to just put jokes out there everyone right. is actually just demands of you that you also be a pundit so yeah, that's you, what everyone does now you can't be like this detached character go ahead Leslie oh yeah but yeah that started it's really weird we should probably do it we could probably do a whole episode like where like you know in 2011 like every comedian on Twitter yeah. was just like making jokes about Asians and now they're all like po- posting. Uh, you know what be so funny? Like we should, political we should do. We should do a uh, uh, like do a, a time capsule where yeah. you take like on this date in 2011 and then on this date in 2014, the same days, uh, right. uh, separated by a few years. Look, I think. But, I think but the anyway, point. I think a real turning point was probably the Michael Richards incident. I think that forced comedians to go. You know, cause oh no! That, that was Michael Richards way before. Right? Michael Richards. Yeah, yeah I know, but that was the first time a comedian had a public freakout go viral, and especially with racial slurs. And comedians were sort of all forced to comment at the same time about one thing. That was the first time that happened, and I feel like it kind of slowly snowballed from there. Interesting. I don't know. I'm not sure I, about I, this one, but that's interesting. I'm not sure. To think what, about Michael Richards innocent. All right. <laughs> no, no, no. He's a, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> That's yeah. the funniest video. If anyone at home hasn't seen it, watch when Jerry Seinfeld goes on David Letterman oh, and then God. has Michael Richards by a funny. video chat. It's so chat. sad. It's, it's so sad. It's <laughs> so... Seinfeld just keeps... The audience and keeps laughing the audience and Seinfeld laughs keeps yelling at Se- them. Seinfeld's like, no, it's not funny. funny. Don't <laughs> laugh at this. But anyway, well, don't laugh at this either. So John and okay. Lane, you know, when... Um, What's his face? Uh, Melting Man, the guy who looks like he got hit by an atomic bomb. What's his name? Right. Steve Bannon. Bannon. Uh, Steve Bannon. Bannon, yeah. 
Well, he said he was apparently Mulaney was also invited to the Ideas Fest festival. Yeah, I don't Which know. Which is very funny. I, it's like as, as the, when the when the Bannon thing came down, it's like oh my god, like Carrot Top has dropped out of the Ideas <laughs> Festival. Like oh no, like uh, Gallagher is in is in conversation with Henry Kissinger, and he refuses to do the the Festival of Wonderful Ideas. We have to stop. These uh, we have to stop these Coachellas for politics. The ideas these festivals have to, have to stop. These are bad. Yeah, they're, yeah, they they're encouraging shitty capitalistic behavior from people who should be seeking positions of civil service. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not a, a good thing. It's amazing that they found a way to have a festival that's more embarrassing than an <laughs> improv marathon. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, John Mulaney. All right. Yeah. Sorry. He's John Mulaney. I'm out. I genuinely support public intellectual debate and have paid to see people speak with whom I strongly uh, disagree. I, I wonder who those people are. But this isn't James Baldwin versus William F. Buckley. This is P.T. Barnum level horseshit. And it was announced on a weekend just before ticks, ticks went on sale. Like, that's how you know he's pissed off. He, like, used the abbreviation Right for before tickets. a weekend. And, it was, yeah. and to add insult to injury, it was right before my beloved weekend. No, he's, so, he's very. It, that's very good. It, it, you know, I, I would. The only thing I would say is that William F. Buckley was yes. actually not that smart. <laughs> yes, you know? that is the point. So he's get back to the back. transatlantic accents. Yeah, transatlantic accent. Post comedy, we're bringing it all together. All right. So William F. Buckley was a stupid piece of shit, but he had an accent, <laughs> yes. and people respected it at the time. And for but for some reason, even liberals like. John Mulaney, who I think considers himself a pretty progressive guy. I, I mean, obviously, this is actually a pretty good thing he's doing, saying he won't appear on the same show. But he yeah. can't like break this like this idea, this myth, this myth that so many liberals have that at one time, at one point, there were smart conservatives. There yeah. weren't. They were always racist. Like when you see all like the racism in the past that you no longer think exists, the people who were doing that were like all the racist were all the conservatives that you missed. Right. They were the William yeah. F. Buckley's. Like he yeah, it is, is funny a, to look back fondly on the sixties and be like, back in the sixties when there was famously no racism, uh <laughs> conservatives uh, uh were cut from a different cloth. Well and uh, it's this idea that William F. Buckley would talk to rich gay people or rich gay black people that made him appealing to the center. He uh, would talk to uh you know Gore Vidal. Right. He'd have no problem talking to that guy even though he was gay because he was a peer. Yeah. To Buckley. They were both also in the same they, business. They booked, I think also they booked television shows. It, yeah, it I wouldn't. For William I'm not, it's like, I've never, I, I, I'm, maybe liberals give him credit for that, but I fucking don't. I'm not giving like, him credit. I'm just saying that's what, they, that's why they, they that's why they see him, him as respectable because he would, right. he would reach oh, across yeah, the yeah, aisle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like it was just, but they like it was just a TV show, and he would always, you know, be completely shitty to these people. Like, that, yeah, like that's the one rude. thing. <laughs> yeah, he's a rude asshole. He threatened to punch Gore Vidal, and like when you look at the that uh, James Baldwin debate, I, I recommend everybody watch it just because it shows just how intellectually bankrupt conservatism is. The first thing this you know towering you know conservative intellect says is he accuses James Baldwin. 
Baldwin of putting on a fake accent for the uh, British students there. That's the first <laughs> thing he says. William F. Buckley, whose entire life, whose entire career is based on having a fake British accent, accuses James Baldwin of putting on one for this debate. It's completely pathetic. And uh, frankly, I'm really disappointed that John Malay saw that debate and thought, you know what? There's good people on both sides of this debate about whether right. black people are human or not. That was basically <laughs> what the right. debate was. Also, why why do liberals have this instinct that if I well, if I have to say Steve Bannon is bad, then to to balance the post, yes. I should probably say that another one is good. Yeah, so while Dan I hate Quayle. Steve Bannon, uh, 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 I think Dick Cheney was a better conservative. It's I mean I I wonder what the future version of this is going to right. be because I wonder if in 20 years when uh you know the debates consist of the candidates playing like Fortnite 3 on Twitch <laughs> and just whoever like has a has a better like kill ratio right. is the winner like right. I wonder if we're going to harken back to a time when Alex Jones and Marco Rubio <laughs> spirited discussion in the Senate hallway. Um, but, right, yeah. When yeah. people are actively, when like reporters and senators are like in actual like wrestling style brawls right. on television, like bloodying each other, we'll be like, man, like back when out, like Alex Jones, that was rational debate. Now right. you say what you will about him, but that was better. That was a better time. The way he yelled at Marco Rubio to go back to the bathhouse. <laughs> now that that was a guy who knew how to argue. You know what I think? It's so funny. Like, YouTube, like, let people think that a professional wrestling character was a news anchor. Yeah, this yeah. is and that, fault. And that, and that heightened out be their fault. to its logical conclusion. It did heighten out, and we're living in that now. Uh, uh, that has now, uh, uh, that, 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 that just rolled on forward until now we are cutting wrestling promos in the halls of the Senate with actual senators. Right. Uh, and live yes. on, live on stream. Yeah, speaking of, so that Alex Jones thing where he goes at Jack, like, in person, like, it, it, it's exactly what you, it's like a pro wrestler not <laughs> understanding when the show is over. Like, <laughs> like, like, that's not how it works, man. Like, you, gotta, you gotta wait till Monday Night Raw before you do that. You can't do that out on the street. Like, you can't go to the grocery store and start cutting promos on the checkout person. Like, a lot of pro wrestlers back in the day, they used to get in kind of trouble for that they were lived the gimmick all the time. Uh, Ric Flair, he famously lived the gimmick all the time. That's why he's divorced and broke right now because that's the, <laughs> and, as is he, Alex he Jones. A apparently, McGregor. He pulled the con. He yes, Conor McGregor. He threw, the, he threw the chairs through the bus. Yeah, Trump uh, too. Trump's like these guys too. He's he's living his uh, kayfabe. But it's broke. working out for Trump for some reason. Yeah, Trump, like, yeah. Trump never broke character, and he's like that. Like he just is a pro wrestling character that became president. He I broke out of wrestling. He was too dumb to have ever even thought of it as a work. <laughs> he was just like, "This is yeah. it's all real." To him. you guys, yeah. I mean, you guys have no doubt heard that thing of like how after Vince there was a yes. w, there was a raw I think where Vince McMahon's limo got blown up. Oh yeah, and yes. he like he like called WWE <laughs> to make sure his, his friend was okay. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, doesn't understand it's a TV. Show. Oh, well, in the uh, new Woodward book, it came out that he started yelling uh, randomly, "Kill Assad" to uh, to John Kelly, and they just kind of ignored him. It's the right. funniest version. Uh, it's just the funniest version, and uh, I I can't. I shouldn't say it, but every tweet is funnier than his last tweet. He, he somehow yes. still, and it's because of the context, which is not good. The context is bad, <laughs> right? But somehow, since this all started. 
Every single tweet has been a le- at least a little bit funnier than the last one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Dude, does that does, does that lend credence to the post comedy theory? Because it's part of it that we laugh at what he says and we feel guilty. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, so we're crushed by the fact that Trump is like the the spectacle of Trump, <laughs> the absurdity of Trump is inherently funny, and him as a yeah. man, it's like a funny figure, even though it's so destructive, sure. and so awful, and sure. it's ruining so. It many is Will. It's the Will Ferrell becomes president movie, right. but we are living through it, and it is hugely destructive, and it has affected people's lives in very, very real ways. But yeah, maybe it is that people witness that, and they're like, you know what? Fuck you, comedy. Thanks. You know, we don't like comedy anymore. Right. Go to hell. Trump's too funny. Trump is too funny, actually, for comedy to still exist. He's too funny. Is the unfortunate reality? You can't. You can't uh, mock him. You can't embarrass him. You can't really like mimic him or parry him in any way that is too outlandish. He because he is already the character. He is already the character from the movie, from the pro wrestling show, and like comedy. We maybe we do need post comedy because comedy (laughs) is completely ineffective against someone like Trump. So maybe that's need- what it is. Maybe we've discovered that comedy should die. Maybe well, we maybe should live in the comedy. Comedy doesn't post-com. have to be the whole, you know, I mean, it is crusaders funny. of punching up thing that we've kind of hyped it up to be. <laughs> it is funny. Years. Maybe it's just fart and dick jokes and you know, isn't it weird how men and women are different? I don't know. <laughs> Are you saying that Airplanes. we shouldn't you shouldn't make a, like like our bullshit pop culture like the main you know uh, weapon in our politics. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I don't know. Is that, Are you maybe serious? Little, really? Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm re- rethink fashion. this, bro. Rethink this. Yeah, you might want to rethink that. You might want to think that. It is really funny that we're like it. We're like well, comedians. How, what are you going to do? Uh, he's the president now. This is up to you. <laughs> like, roll your sleeves up, John Oliver. Yeah. There, there's also, I think in parallel, though, with like all the deconstruction of comedy and like the, the comedy special that's a take on comedy has been this like growth in of just like absurdism. Like, it does feel like we're, we're at a point where just like it, there's a lot of people who just appreciate, uh, a, Stuff that, that that just like basically exists for the purpose to, uh, of making no sense. Like what stuff do you like, mean? Like I'm like I someone will post a a picture of like a pair of boots, but it's laced up with a strand of spaghetti, okay. and they'll be like, you know, like like what like time to get married you know and that'll have like a hundred thousand likes and you're like what what is going on i here? mean that is also funny as comedy has been devalued to that point right. where like it used to be that you had to make comedy and offer it to people and now it is just like a picture of a boot laced with spaghetti yeah so, there's no comment it's just like this is so weird and this weird. is so yeah. like it, it just like kind of affects your brain in the same sort of I way i think i don't like joke. that stuff i it's, think that i'm not interested in that kind I of like stuff. some of it you know it's i like like, like a weird piece of fan something. art or something yeah, it it reminds me sort of of kind of the uh, you know older Adult Swim stuff in a way yeah. where it's just very surreal to the point of I don't know I, I think there's a place for it uh, but and and you know I think there's a place for what's called post comedy and I think we should go back to calling it what we used to call it for uh, you know five thousand years which is storytelling I like <laughs> yeah, stories true. I like it when people tell <laughs> stories to each other I don't get why you can't call uh, it the moth you can't just keep calling it the moth yeah. you have to call it the comedy show <laughs> you know it's like and there's a place for storytelling yeah then you know tales that will make you weep. Cheer. Yeah. And and there's a place for laughing at farts, and then there's a place for talking about politics. But f- 
you know, we live in a world where we have to do it all at once now. There's no... I, I think that's also... That's the requirement. I, I think that there's... I don't know. I feel like... <clears throat> I feel like there's also something that is not being said about post-comedy and the new post-comedy specials is that it's... Uh, it's a structure. You know what I mean? It's a way for these specials to stand out. It's a right. way like in the world where now we live in Netflix and there's like 7,000 new stand-up specials uh, uh, a day, uh, a year. Um, you know, it's a new way to like beat the algorithm sure. kind of uh, uh, and stand uh, ahead yeah. of everything. This else. show's in a barn. This one has a pregnant comedian. This uh, one takes <laughs> place on in space. And uh, so I'm just like, maybe like, I don't know. You have to. I guess you have to factor that in also when you consider the artistic merit of it. Is that it's also a marketing decision, right? Well, you you can't like, you know, the 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 outgrowth of all these comedy specials. Like, it's kind of almost like if you have like a more traditional one man show, now you want to try to package it as a comedy special. That's a take on comedy. It's like something like you know. Spalding Gray's Swimming to Cambodia, that old show yeah. that like it's like that's like not really like it's it's got jokes in it, but it's not really comedy. But that right. would be marketed like, as a Netflix that would yeah. be mar- comedy yeah. show exactly, today, which is very strange because it's a very depressing show. You know, I right. guess as as is typical, what I'm really upset about is just the way Netflix organizes their little website. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm just upset that the way they put the iframes together isn't the right way. And and, and, but, then, and, and, and you know, culture and the daily beast and on that you know about those two but you know who really has a lovely website hulu is that hulu and when you go (laughs) hulu.com one of the first things you'll see is season two of i love you america with silver silverman featuring nick off, uh, w- w- featuring Nick Weiger as writer. I think say Nick Offerman. Offerman. <laughs> I'm so, so I'm so Offerman used to might be Nick's, in it. I so so used to saying I don't know a lot of Nicks. Actually, you're like the only like you and wow. Offerman are the only people I know. Wow, not a lot of Nicks in Louisiana. I don't know why. But anyway, your show, Nick. Please tell us. Yes. about it. Um, you you did submit your um, episode of Struggle Session as part of your packet, correct? That's right. Yeah, I had, <laughs> I had my my first Struggle Session appearance. I transcribed it. Um, you know, it's you know the, the these packet requirements these days. They just want volume of pages. Uh, but uh, I, I yeah, no, it's it's a it's you know Sarah's super funny and she has her her own. I think she's one of the funniest people, and she has like a very strong take on uh, politics that you know, to be frank, does not line up one to one with mine. But it's her take, and she is like passionate about sure. it. And she wants to execute it, and she's. I think she's she's great at conveying it and communicating it. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the show consists of of like you know, she she has uh, interviews with people in studio. Uh, she has field pieces where she you know she goes to uh, uh, you know talk with voters in Alabama or you know uh, 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 talk with um, uh, you know talk with a, a, a go- she is, she goes on a blind date with a Republican consultant in D.C. Things like that, just to sort huh. of like get out of the uh, the proverbial liberal the bubble, bubble the, you yeah, might the, call the comfort it. zone, and and interact with some the different people. People. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's a really funny show. It's got sketches. It's got bits. It's got jokes. It's not just a, it's not it's a just comedy a big show. lecture. Yeah, not just so. hectoring, not just exactly. hectoring you. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so yeah, person. check it out. If you got a Hulu, uh, uh, watch an episode or two. Yeah. Great. Great. Everyone should go do it. Go watch the episode <laughs> right now. Hey, Leslie, didn't you have something you wanted to ask Nick? Uh, yeah. So now we've gotten the niceties out of the way. Oh boy. Uh, Nick. 
um, you've been posting a few things, and the reason we booked you on the show. Let me. Let, I, yeah. Do we still have that tweet? Do we? Do we have it? Oh uh, my God! Do you want me to? Uh, we we know what it is. I don't know if I have to pull it up. But let me see. What's what what what? I think well, why I, don't we I, just I, ask him because he's right here. Why don't yeah, we just ask do. him because no, he I, can probably just say it from memory because it's obviously oh, okay, his order. It. it is so his I, order. I had I had to look into um the our Discord. I remember the phrase I yeah. used when I wanted you on the show was "book this son of a bitch," and I just looked that <laughs> up in our Discord. And, right. and um, so the tweet is Nick uh, is sweating. Nick, by the way, um, sweating really bad. Uh, I agree. TLJ, um, that's the Last Jedi, is the yeah. best Oof. Disney film. I put it. The best Disney film of all time. I mean, I wasn't that like that the top. That's not the worst. Star Wars. The Disney Star Wars. Sure. Is I put it at third place among Star Wars. Wow. Overall, all the Star Wars films. Sir, stand by that. Sir, have you no decency? (laughs) You know, have you no respect for the canon of Star Wars? Yeah. I I you know I get that it's 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 I wouldn't say a contrarian opinion but but it's an opinion that's that's out We don't oh we don't use that word we're going to bleep we're going to bleep that yeah. word out That's going to be say, bleeped out oh, we boy. did a whole episode That's a fucked up word that's not a nice thing to label someone as a contrarian actually right. uh uh it's a way to minimize that's mm. the c word what oh, you would never say but please continue yeah. with your bullshit continue uh, to say, but I don't agree with that I don't think it's contrarian to not like Last Jedi. I think that the the sides are pretty even on this one. It's right. a pretty odd movie, actually. No, absolutely, it's a polarizing movie, and I think like you know, I think the the TLJ critics get unfairly uh, uh, painted with a broad brush. Thank as, you, as Thank you know, you. misogynists or you know uh, uh, what have you. This is what's getting clipped as the uh, when we do the little waveforms on Twitter. That's going to be the right. preview. <laughs> <part>. <laughs> um, but I I genuinely like the movie because of the storytelling. I like that it's like it's it's like an interesting uh, like as much as Force Awakens was just like a kind of crude replica of the beats of a right. star wars well sure. this was this was a departure from that formula you, you know and an attempt at taking some big swings i don't think every single one landed but there are moments in it and there are visuals in it that that i really enjoy i think it's a reactionary film i think oh, it's a please, reactionary please film how. and i think because i think it's it so didn't want to be like force awakens right and it just it what what ryan did his reaction to not wanting to be like force awakens was to me extremely surface level. I feel like he didn't, he so didn't want it to be just a retread. Everyone thought he was going to do Empire. So he just right. did it like the tiniest little tweak on every single one. And I actually think that you look at the plot of that movie, which is, I think is just unwieldy and straight up doesn't make fucking sense. Like it's just bad storytelling, that film. Uh, um, but I, I, I do think that like, it is really not a departure from Star Wars in that every beat is the same, but just with a little like twist ending. Like it's like a little mini Shyamalan's throughout the whole movie. <laughs> there, yeah, there's some. Well, and I think the, the worst work. one, the most egregious one, is I think everything with Holdo and Poe is actually despicable. And I think the defenders of Holdo and Poe's arc are. Poe did not earn Holdo's trust, so he didn't have the right to know what she, the brilliant commander, whose plan was, I guess, to kill everyone. Yeah, uh, had and and so this this weird defense of Holdo screwing over Poe 
and I, essentially forcing him to lead a mutiny. I, I will. I will also. Sorry. I will also very quickly just say, I don't know if I hundred percent agree with that, but I do mostly agree that I do think that. Holdo's plot line and her arc is very strange yes. because it ends with her committing suicide. But I did that was a moment I a beat I really liked and I liked it more rewatching it because it's a it's a sort of thing that gets touched on in uh uh, uh, uh fuck what's the what's the one I get Rogue One. It gets touched on in Rogue One when we kind of have this insurgent sure. Uh, a, attack from a bunch of separatists yeah. and uh, on the imperial yeah. forces and here you know we have this we have this uh, uh suicide ramming mission to to help everyone escape right it's like it, it kind of got the gets on this sort of like gritty side of of uh, of a rebellion and kind of hits on on the the sort of like dirty sort of well but i mean that, oh you uh, mean like a new hope you mean like a new yeah, hope exactly does. A, new hope, <laughs> a new hope does that too i mean that's that's what i like about star wars is that it kind of touches on uh okay so but the thing is i don't want to get into the minutia because we've all yeah we've, i do covered, i do but, i want to uh, talk about the minutia <laughs> why don't why do they save the horses and not the slave children why do Rose and Finn leave the slave children in the stables and escape with the horses? I do Why do think the that's creatures the... look like they belong in Fantastic Beasts? <laughs> Why are they all Dobbies? It's a little too Harry Potter. That's a that's a real uh, issue. I mean, I think that's that whole sequence is a weak point of the film. And I also I like a lot of people like talk about how how they love the coda. I hate the coda. That's like I wish they'd ended it a Broom scene earlier. Kid. Yeah, when they have the little, oh the little orphan Annie like uh, extras well, come out, he has out the and do toy. He has powers. the toy ring. Yeah, exactly. I, that that I was just like, man, this is so like weirdly self-referential. I don't sure. really like it. But I, yeah. I, I, I uh, there there are elements, there are problems with the film. It's not a flawless uh, film, yeah, but, but it's the third best Star Wars of all yeah, of them. So. Well, I think they're they'll have problems. Well, the thing is, I didn't want to get into the minutiae because I don't think yeah. it's fair to make Nick. Defend like every bad thing. I think in that this originally field. you wanted to title this episode "The Trial of Nick Weiger." So <laughs> I don't really know We've where you're coming from with like, that self righteousness. Like, I've grown a lot since that okay. time. I've watched the film again and realized yeah, that is not too. really like worth getting that hype over because everybody else knows <laughs> I'm just we're right. Out, I am. Every, everybody, everybody else knows we're right, so we don't even have to or argue with. But there is one. It feels like the end of the Civil War, like where everyone is just like exhausted. <laughs> like right. we're all we're except for just Ryan decimated Johnson. And he wants to keep fighting. Well, you guys have to watch the the director and the uh, Jedi, we, the L. full length, uh, the full length documentary about the making of the film. Oh, sorry, go ahead. But there is one thing I want to like touch back on because this is something that's been said constantly throughout that we that no one's really like talked about or investigated. I kind of want Nick's thoughts too because he kind of repeated it here. It's like, all right, so it's a star wars movie that kind of subverts star wars right and like that's a that's kind of an interesting like like a weird thing to praise it for because you have this franchise that's you know for, like for what 40 years old now um and right it, you have all this stuff based on it all the all the books all the movies all the toys all the cartoons and everything and people love it because it's star wars because it's hidden those same it's living in that same world that george that's Lewis why came. you like holdo killing herself is because it's like star wars or whatever, yeah right and yeah. so like and so like so what is so the question becomes for me is like if you're going to try to make a movie like the last jedi where you're trying to subvert all the expectations for star wars why would you make a star wars movie 
anyway. Like, why not make like something new? Why, why do that? Why, like, because all you're going to do is like alienate a lot of people who already like it. And I, I, and and you're, you're Nick, you're not like this, but a lot of people have this tone that's like, oh, you people need to grow up and accept that Star Wars can change. I think if you were growing up, you would just like not watch Star Wars anymore in the first place, right? Like, right. like, like, wouldn't that be the move instead of like having a, like a new you're Star Wars? You're not involved movie? in the discourse around yeah. uh, Last and, Jedi and, and if you're an adult. I think that narrative comes straight from Disney. I think they're making the same mistake Sony made with Ghostbusters, where they're extremely combative to an embedded fan base in an effort to create a new one. It's a stupid fucking thing to do, because if you alienate these people who uh, only live for the franchise, a very sad thing, which these people ha- these corporations happily exploit, sure. you want to spend 40 years pumping a franchise into someone's brain than telling them, uh, it's not for you anymore. It is obvious why Disney wants to keep milking Star Wars. Obviously, they want to make sure. money, but I'm curious about, as someone who likes The Last Jedi, specifically because it's subverting those explanations, expectations i want to know like what nick what's your perspective on it like why do you want a star wars movie that in some ways is not a star wars movie well i don't know if i even want that but it like it like i didn't know what i wanted going in i was just like okay i'm gonna watch this with an open mind and it uh, after a couple viewings i was like oh okay i see what i think i see what this is doing and i enjoy it on the level it's operating I think I think there's an instinct as someone who's a longtime fan of something, and you know I li- I like Star Wars as much as anything. By the way, I just want to let everyone know uh, this is this whole thing is a legitimate ambush. I, <laughs> I was brought in here to do a to talk about Final Fantasy, which we are going to talk about. But, Maybe, we'll but see. um, but uh, so uh. So, uh, uh, like, like I, I accepted it on the surface of what it is, and when I did that, I was like, "Oh, I, I appreciate a lot of these, uh, a, a lot of these elements, and a lot of the ways they're, they're, he's doing his best to fix things that Episode Seven kind of fucked up, sure. you know." And 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 I, I appreciate it on that level. And I also, I just think like a lot of it looks great. Like I think a lot of it, like a lot of the the, the sequences from some of the I and I which like, sequences. I like the I I love the uh, the the climactic uh, 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 battle on the uh, the the red uh, uh, the red salt crystal planet. Okay. I think that looks awesome. Um, um, I like uh, Hoth. Hoth. Yeah, the, the on Hoth, Hoth one. Too, you on know what's so funny? I, I I watched. Of course, I watched. Yeah. Would you believe that I watched the commentary for the Last Jedi <laughs> uh, uh, with Ryan Johnson? And what's so funny is all these sequences. Like when they go to Hoth, he's like, and this is of course inspired by like whatever like an Italian movie. I'm like, no, dude. It's Hoth. You right. he's like not saying that like and this of course is based on Hoth from Empire Strikes Back. Like I'm like uh uh Anyway, sorry. I, go ahead. I, anti- I accept the challenge. I, like, at least that was a little bit of. Uh, they were putting a little bit of English on Hoth. It wasn't it's just salt. a straight. It wasn't it just. Taste, I, they tasted the snow this time. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't just Jakku, which was just <laughs> yeah, Tatooine, sure. Sure, a labor sure, sure, Tatooine. Sure. But that's just what Tatooine I mean. Is it's Jr. like it is still just as much about that it, it's supposed to look like ta- like Hoth. You know right. what I mean? Just like Jakku was supposed to look like Tatooine, but this time. There's a little, like, Ryan winks about it. Well, you kind of reach... I think this is the thing, is that you reach a point in any of these franchises where you kind of run out of steam and you have to just retread beats that you've done But that's previously. not, like... Uh, that's not the third best film in a series, then. That's the I, JJ I, defense. Yeah, that's like... At a certain point, like, things must be bad, and so we have to accept them. I didn't say it was bad. I said, like, they we, they have to, like, find new ways to re-explore right. themes that have already been touched upon, because okay. there's only so many... Many ways you can go. Okay, uh, I, I, 
I I really I genuinely enjoy it to the point where I would put it third among all the Star Warses, and I like every. What's your Star four Wars. then? What's number four? I think I would put Empire first, Jedi second, uh, Last Jedi third. This list is Star insane, Nick. Nick. And then after that, I think I would go <laughs> Episode three. I think is my is my fifth. You think Revenge of the Sith is the worst? I just one? I can't even no, talk about it. No, I think Revenge it. of the Sith is the is the fifth best Star Wars. There's overall. like nine. There's nine yeah. Star oh, yeah. Wars There's now. So or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many now. I, I, I'm just staggered by this. The, I, I you know, the, just the historical context of right. Star Wars: A New Hope, the yes. original Star Wars, just solely titled Star Wars. Absolutely. What was accomplished in that movie, both for like storytelling, like visually, like it created. The way that movies are now, right. it's. I just think it's. I I, I shouldn't say insane because that's an ableist thing to say, right? But yes. I think it should be outside of the bounds of rational discussion to Let, say that Last Jedi is above Star Wars. Nick Weiger, you were yes, uninvited from the New York uh, Times Idea Festival. You're invited. Wow. From the <laughs> but it, the I'm dropping out. I'm dropping out the because they invited him. good news is you're going to be the subject of an Errol Morris documentary. <laughs> That's so. exciting. There's good and there's bad. You, good you, Lord. you don't get to speak with David Remnick, but you do get uh, a movie. What do you guys think pays better? An honorarium? from the New Yorker Ideas Festival or like the rate that Netflix gives you for doing an hour-long comedy special. <laughs> I think the honorarium might legitimately be I, I really think it might be. I think you might, but not by much. Not I don't, by much. I think all, that's why all these people like... All of these pundits are like hustling all the time because right. they're like the same as like TV writers. They're like, ooh, like if I can land an honorarium, I'll get like fifteen k. Like right. that'll that'll like that'll float me until the end of the summer. Like <laughs> some of the, reading what some of these pundits uh, make in speaking fees is yeah. unreal. It's just uh -huh. the idea that I get why they do it. I and get the, why you would. You we would, talk uh, about this on the on the show here and there, but yeah. people like talk about. I mean, people talk about you guys and people talk about Chapo, and they're like, oh, they're making so much money. I'm like, no one is making like. A, a quarter of what Anna Navarro makes. Right, Nobody exactly. gets to make even close to what Anna Navarro or Chris Saliza yeah. or any of these Chris people. She gets to go talk to a, a corporate retreat at Raytheon. Yeah, she makes, makes fucking like quarter million dollars. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so Nick's defense is just that he likes the movie. This is not. This is no good. Here, here's what. No, I, I just want to say this. If I am going to be. If I'm going to like actually evaluate in an AFI sense, of course, yeah. Star Wars is a better film than The yeah. Last Jedi. It set everything up. But if we're talking about a list of favorites, a list of rankings, in the same sense, and I don't think The Last Jedi is anywhere as good as Mission Impossible 6, but... In the same way that I can... So you think Mission Impossible 6 is better than A New Hope? I think Mission Impossible 6 is better than Mission Impossible 1. And some people will make well, the argument that Mission Impossible 1 is like this, this, this De Palma film, that the cinematography okay. is super fascinating, and it kind of set the table and established the conventions of the franchise. You have to protect sure, sure, sure. Brian De Palma, because without <laughs> Brian De Palma, there's nothing. Okay, so you're saying the historical context is yes. why people like to give added weight to Mission Impossible exactly, 1. Exactly, but, but you do like of, it better. In terms of my personal rankings, and right. as someone who's seen Star Wars, but, but but a new hope thirty to thirty to a hundred times. Oh wait, it's okay. So but you just think it's actually a worse movie? Like I don't, you, you I just don't, don't like a, it as much? I, again, if I'm putting on my AFI ball cap, I, <laughs> I know the AFI say thing. Star but Wars like the better. fucking Last Jedi has the horses that look like Dobby in it. Yeah, like there's of, nothing like that in a new some hope. Of that shit is stupid. But there's also like there's the, the, the there's, fucking Moss Eisley is in a new hope. Moss Eisley has like a fucking dude with a devil Halloween mask. You are ranking okay, okay, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on. All right.
right, we're not. Apparently, okay. the trial of Nick Weiger will have to continue <laughs> okay. on another day. Because right, sorry, we'll because we because we have to get. To think that Which one is better, love. Moss Eisley or the Casino? Uh, uh, no, is no. Better. <laughs> better because what do you think won't... is better, Final Fantasy VI or Star Wars okay. Episode VI? Yeah, and yes. Return of Thank the Jedi. The... Oh, that's a great. That question. is a good question. Or transition. Or the story of Kefka and Shadow. Fuck. And... Okay, that's wow. a great question. Right. I will say that that the and I got it. I got the World of Ruins spoiled for me by my friend Ryan Zavatsky. But just hearing about the concept of the World of Ruins. Just I thought was like such an amazing storytelling beat, and I still think it's like one of the most amazing things I've ever observed in fiction. The idea that a super villain would get a hold of the super weapon and use it to fucking level the like the planet is just like ins- it's such an insane like narrative decision to have that happen. Wild. Yeah. I've never beaten six, but we should okay, we should well, headline this section, right? Yeah. Yes. All right. So. Here's part two of episode 100, folks. We are going to de- dive deep, deep into all Final Fantasy games, all 712 of them yeah. with Nick Weiger. <laughs> We're going through one, them one by one. We are going to include all of the DS titles where uh, you match West. tiles and shit. Right. Uh, um uh yeah, we're gonna do it. We're doing the deep dive. The uh, Advent Children anime. We're gonna touch on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, so we're not going that deep. We're right. not going that deep. I, mean, I think we're talking about our personal okay. histories. I think it's, it's okay too. It's, okay, it's, it looks cool. So yeah, where should we start, Leslie? Let's let's start with what's everybody's first Final Fantasy. Let's start there. And I can say that actually, my first Final Fantasy is the first Final Fantasy. I um, had a Nintendo NES, and I borrowed the game from somebody who thought it was too hard, and I fell in love because it was super hard. But it had like a uh-huh. story, and like back then, like games were just like Mario and like shooting ducks and bullshit like that. Final right. Fantasy was the first game I played that like had this wider world and this wider story that I found like really fan. Uh, fascinating and it was called final fantasy that's just a cool ass uh right. title and it like it just created in like it was the like the fa- final fantasy is like the only fantasy i'm interested in like i'm not I, i've never read really like a fantasy book or anything but final fantasy <laughs> makes fantasy like all that shit like look pretty cool like uh because it's yeah. through like this japanese uh lens and that's where really where uh, a, a lot of things that like are american but then get uh, filtered through a japanese lens they become like a really like kind of twisted weird and cooler uh for the most part so final fantasy one was my first final fantasy i was wow. been in love with it ever that's since. a big deal i didn't i didn't play final have you played fantasy. every single one uh actually no i haven't played i haven't played uh japanese two or three um i think i might i, I didn't do though. i didn't really do the mmos and i um i skipped most of 13 i like i tried to play the first one and then they They're came out with two more like i couldn't games. i couldn't get through them but i play uh most of them so what so um nick what was your first one how many have you played Leslie, same as you, Final Fantasy One NES, wow. my first, uh, wow. my first Final Fantasy, and maybe the first RPG I ever finished. 
It's possible Dragon Warrior, which is what they localized Dragon Quest as. I, it's possible I did that. I played through that all the way first. But Final Fantasy One, yeah, I I love that game. And then there's just so many beats like saving the title screen until after you cross the bridge like you do basically you know five hours of questing to, to beat the first boss garland and then you cross this little you build this little bridge and you you cross it and that's when the title sequence kicks in uh, and that's when the the one of the famous themes uh, kicks in for the first time you get this little cut scene i just it's it felt so cinematic especially by nes standards um and then just also too just like you touched on the difficulty they've they've uh uh you know updated final fantasy a few times for game boy advance yeah, and, and the dawn DS. Of souls yeah and and they've they've updated a few times and they've they've simplified the difficulty to a an almost absurd degree like when i played through it on game boy advance i was just like this game is just straight up easy but mm. at nes it was like it had a punishing level of difficulty like you could die a lot you had to be uh, a, a particularly careful in managing your resources and making sure you went back to town to heal uh, so you didn't lose all your progress. And, um, and that was, was par for the yeah. course because this was when Squaresoft was was trying to create a Dragon Quest killer. Right. I mean, this was before, this was back when Square was Square and Enix was Enix. Uh, these uh, were different times. There was times. a time when the world was better. <laughs> it it is so that. weird that, that we just accept that merger is just like, oh yeah, that's what that's how things are now. It was just like, that was world changing. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it was it's so like if we had Coke Pepsi now right. or something. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think probably with consolidation that we will have that before that too a long. a couple of decades. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, only a matter of time. And how many of them overall have you played, Nick? Um, I've played my, as I was telling Jack before we recorded, my Final Fantasy knowledge pretty much goes from 1 to 10. I played a bit of 12, um, and I bought 15, and I never played it. I skipped the 13s, and I skipped the MMOs, because I'm, I'm not much of an MMO guy. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I finished most of them from 1 to 10, and I played them all, all fairly extensively. Uh, three, uh, the, the Japanese three, uh, which got ported to the DS is maybe the exception. That's maybe the one I've touched on the least. Um, and two I fucked around with. Uh, the the Japanese too, uh, but that it, it, it's kind of like the most broken of the games. I feel like it's like not balanced at all. Uh, but, but it, you know, it, it's it's they have some interesting elements in that. Um, but yeah, I, I like all of them. And, and you touched on the aesthetic, and yeah, it's kind of like this this uh, you know mashup of like high fantasy and then like you know uh, anime and then like some steampunk works its way in there. It's mm -hmm. it's, it's got yeah. like this very uh, unique sort of. Uh, art style that's even captured in the 8-bit and, and especially the 16-bit versions. Um, I love airships. I think airships are like the, yes. the coolest, dumbest thing. They're so fucking stupid. They're so rad. And they're always piloted by a guy named Sid. Yeah, Sid, Sid appears. Even in the Final Fantasy movie, Final Fantasy Spirits Within, there's a Dr. Sid. He dies. He dies, yeah. God, that uh, was a that was the first movie that introduced me to the concept of the uncanny valley. It is yeah. a spooky. Well, it, it's really funny how crazy. when that movie came out, they're like, "We like it's as good as watching real life," and I'm like, "No, it isn't. Yeah, it <laughs> like, like it, it's a really weird movie." Uh, um, my my experience with the Final Fantasies is I I uh, uh, I never had a Nintendo system when I was growing up. I only had the Sega system. Right, so, so you were locked out. I played some of the. Uh, did you hiss at me? Yes. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, uh, so I played some of Final Fantasy VII on a friend's PlayStation. Got the PlayStation late in the uh, uh, in its life cycle, and so my first Final Fantasy I think that I played actually all the way through was Final Fantasy IX. Wow. Uh, uh, which I still have like a real place in my heart for Final Fantasy IX, and yeah. think it's very very charming. Um, but since then I have played seven all the way up to the ending. I'm actually replaying it right now because I've never actually beaten seven. Uh, um, I have played ten, but uh, I never beat ten. I have played uh, uh, fourteen. I actually did play the uh, uh, the MMO one a little bit, and I think it's actually a pretty good MMO. Fourteen. I've heard that. Yeah, it's good. It's cool. Uh, I don't know if I can devote myself to that, but uh, uh, but it's very it's very good for an MMO. And then I did play fifteen, but the like when it came out 15. So right. that, like I played the beta of 15. Uh, um, <laughs> and, and it was good. I liked 15 a lot, actually. Uh, JDB? Yeah. I, uh, see, first Final Fantasy I ever played was 7. And I played the PC version, actually. And wow. It was very exciting. I ended up going back and getting into the whole series. I played Final Fantasy 1 and 2, Dawn of Souls, and the Game Boy Advance. I eventually got into Final Fantasy 3. I didn't really like the first three that much. The first Final Fantasy I really liked was 4, which was called 2 on the Super Nintendo. Right. And I learned all of this through the magic of emulators. Emulators <laughs> are a good thing. They are cool. Emulators it's like cool are what as let archival. me play all of these Super Nintendo games that I was too young to buy. Uh, you know, games that were too expensive for my parents to, to let me get when, when I was a kid. And I was a Sega Genesis kid anyway. So, like, it was a really great way for me to discover all of these games. So once I got through 7, I went through the whole series, and I, I was hooked. I mean, 6 truly is a masterpiece, but 7 will always, and maybe just because it was the first one I played, will always have that special place in my heart. There is... No beating seven for me. And nine gets close. Nine gets close, and ten has a few moments that even gets close. Ten is great. I mean, this is this is maybe my last Jedi take. I think ten is the best Final Fantasy. Ten's wonderful. It's so great. I don't think it's that controversial. Uh, oh, ten, two, oh, ten two got controversial. <laughs> <laughs> hold up, hold up. All right, well, I, uh, all right, well, well, this is the next got segment. got the Blitzball so, hater, yeah, yeah, Leslie, is, over here. This is the next segment, so we have to, you know, talk about, you know, which Final Fantasy is the best one? Um, Mystic I... Quest. <laughs> Not even That's close. a very specific joke. All right, come on. So I argue that Final Fantasy VI, you have to... Uh, excuse me. It was uh, released as Final Fantasy III initially. Right. But Final Fantasy VI is, hands down, the best one. Um, best story, like uh, best characters, and you have so many characters. Like it is the perfect, you know, uh, encapsulation of what makes Final Fantasy great. In fact, we probably need to make Final Fantasy great again um, by going back <laughs> to what made Final Fantasy VI uh, so good. I love the, the the like you don't have a main character; you have like twelve main characters, and you switch perspectives right. uh, throughout. Like the music is so great. Like that first intro with the Magitek armor using the uh, Mode so awesome. Seven Nintendo graphics. Like it's just so good. And as Nick said, like really cinematic. In like it's more cinematic than some games that like come out uh, like today. Mar Margarita and I have been going through Octopath Traveler on the on the Switch, and it feels so close. To like hitting that sweet spot that six has because you have multiple yeah. main characters, 
They all have their own story. The world is beautiful. The music's incredible. It feels very close to a return to form for Square Enix. The combat system's incredible. It's just that the writing kind of blows. Yeah. I don't care about any of these people that much. And I'm so hooked on the game that it doesn't bother me that much. It's, it really is one of the best JRPG combat systems I've messed with in a long time. I, I do think, though, but that I'm like... I, I Six really managed to do... Sorry, I interrupted. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, but Six managed to do something with the parallel storylines that no jrpg has managed to recapture since right and all and just like the device in terms of branching where you get to like you know you have some uh it's the it's the river rapids right it's where you're you get separated on the boat and then that's when your your paths branch like that in and of itself is like a fascinating sort of like moment to fixate on in the narrative where like okay this is where these these characters uh, path splinter and you get to choose who you want to explore the choices matter more in six than any other game in the series you can fuck up and kill shadow you can fuck up and kill sid you can essentially uh, i mean and just the idea that you know two-thirds into the game kafka the villain gets everything yeah the villains win the villain i was actually covering my ears because i'm like i'm gonna play final fantasy 6 i've never beaten final fantasy 6 and i'm like i don't even care i can hear things but uh uh, i am like hearing you guys talk about it i'm like man maybe i will like cover my ears for this uh uh." six is six is fucking great i mean it probably is again you know to to put on my what would it be now to put on my my IGN top 100 hat. Yeah. Um, uh, Final <laughs> Fantasy VI is of prob- course the equal to the uh, illustrious yeah. AFI is the, uh, <laughs> the IGN top 100 list. <laughs> well, it's hard in a post game trailer's America. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I think I would. I think six is the best of the series. Yeah. I think that uh, you know. Uh, I think ten probably the gameplay is a little stronger. I really like the uh, uh, the the system that you have for for character advancement. Is ten the is like sphere, really the awesome. Sp- Grid. The sphere grid is is great, and it's and it and it's it, you know it's 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 just like super fun to mess around with. And I think the narrative in ten is also like interesting, though not as like the this and and has some bold, insane things. Like sin is insane, um, but uh, but six is I think just like like a, a tighter, totter uh, perfection of the Final Fantasy formula. That said. I have a special place in my heart if we're if we're talking about that for ten I mentioned uh, one I mentioned two which it, or four rather the U.S. two the Japanese four Spoonie was barred yeah that was the one that got me into uh, that generation of RPGs and sort of made me a JRPG sort of like fanatic for for a, a good chunk of my life because it just like it it actually. One, you're, you're playing these, the, 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 uh, Warriors of Light are like these sort of like abstractions, these, these characters that don't have any personalities. Here you have fully formed characters that you're playing, um, and that you get to take through, uh, 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 uh their journey. There are moments of like darkness within yeah, it. You you're know? a bad guy who burns yeah, you're down a bad the village. Guy down the beginning. Village. Exactly. And that's, that's like, f- like fucked with my like 11 year old brain. And I thought it was <laughs> awesome. Um, and, uh, and and I really love that one. And even though six is better, I, I really glom onto that. And then seven made me buy a PlayStation. Sure. I was like, well, I have to get a PlayStation because there's final there's Final Fantasy seven. I think eight is probably better than seven, but seven is just so like seven, iconic. Seven in a way feels like foundational almost. And Leslie, you won't like me to say this, so you, why don't you just not even respond to it? But <laughs> it feels foundational in the same way that like Mario sixty four did around right. the same time. No, no, but I Mario actually 64 think Mario was. 64- I think Mario okay. 64 is uh, a foundational, foundational. 
okay. game. Right. It's a foundation like it for much. like. It's a no. I actually think Mario sixty four is a great game. It's a foundational game for like two other games. But Grand it's Theft like Auto <laughs> and uh, Final Fantasy seven. I guess uh, I don't know about that. Um, but uh, like uh, Conquers, Furry Tales, and and again Zelda, that could other just be Mario like games. from the age that I was. You know what I mean? But it does feel like that was sort of like wow, you can do like amazing storytelling in right. games, and the camera can move. You know, uh, uh, right? And also just using the, the like I think. This, this, using the CD-ROM to have those full motion uh, video mm-hmm. cinematics that integrated right into the gameplay. Like mm-hmm. there wasn't like a little stop down for loading. Yeah. It would just like go like just right after a gameplay moment, you go into some, some cutscene that looked yeah. amazing for the time. And I even like that the cutscenes in Final Fantasy, even the pre-rendered ones are like they're the, they're the blocky characters. Right. That is what these characters look like. Yeah. The same nice. as in the sprite ones, they are these sprites. I miss uh, it, the blocky art style of you the know, PlayStation I, 1 era. I, I was going to say that, I, and I think this applies to the PlayStation 1s and the uh, uh, and the one and, and earlier, but not afterward. But there was like almost a different style of storytelling that you could do with RPGs. Like this t- yeah. the way that they told stories, the way that the dialogue boxes worked. I actually, in replaying Final Fantasy 7, and I'm also playing uh, uh, Mass Effect at your guys' behest, I like Final Fantasy better because I can like regulate the experience i'm sure. reading on my own pace like it actually is like i i enjoy it it's well, kind of visual, like a JRPGs, book <laughs> well jrpgs yeah, have those visual novel elements yeah. that crpgs don't yeah crpgs and, will dump pages and pages of lore on you and it's right. your choice whether to read it or not jrpgs are, are more regimented i even was thinking about what you said about final fantasy one where you go across the bridge and the title comes up yeah. like that that's different new storytelling right. you know what I, that's using the form to tell a story in a different new way i mean look se- seven is Probably my favorite, just for the nostalgia value. I will always be sad when Sephiroth kills Eris. Sure. I will always, uh, you know, get excited about the rebirth of Genova. Sure. The assault on Shinra Corp. But, yeah, I, mean, I it's do. Like, great I score too. It's a socially progressive game about where right. terrorists, environmental terrorists, are good. Mega corporations destroying the planet are bad. I mean, that's actually yeah. common in most of the Final Fantasy games. Is this pro-environment, pro-nature, anti-fucking uh, up the planet theme? Yeah, yeah uh, that's which basically is a ve- the entire thing of the crystals. Which is a very Japanese thing, like this, you know, uh, skepticism towards, you know, uh, technology and this want yeah. to desire to return to Man, nature, I w- get back wonder, to. I wonder what would would have made the Japanese as a people uh, be uh, wary about technology. Yeah, uh, I wonder. I wonder, wonder what. Well, it's, it's a weird. It's a double edged sword because the Japanese embraced technology much faster than America did. Japanese business and you know for for 30 years 40 years was considered way more high tech than American business until uh you know capital Well now the uh, now in Japan uh, every business still uses like fax machines and when they send out an email memo everyone prints it out and reads it aloud <laughs> at the meeting like this is a real this is a legit legit thing so very still very uh, paper based there like even like when people always would talk about how advanced Japanese cell phones were. That was until the like the smartphones came out, like the iPhones and the Androids came out, and then we uh, and then it jumped way ahead. Now everybody has yeah. the same phone. There's I'm no cooler phones. Of, There's no mm. cooler phones did, in Japan. The only I did like, find that going to Japan, everyone's like, "Is it going to be like tech everything?" I'm like, "It's elevators. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's like a, a place." I'm, I'm jealous of the pocket Wi-Fi. 
That oh, is the pocket cool. Wi-Fi is cool. That uh, pocket Wi-Fi, yeah, it's cool. Really expensive though, but cool. Oh, I just w- didn't want to jump over uh, Genova because I really like. Yes, a headless um, mother. That shit creeped me out so much as a kid. Creeped me, repelled me, and attracted me at the same time. I don't know why, but it's fucking. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so fucking. Well, because it's like Lovecraftian and it has boobs too. Like I think it's very clear. Yeah, like I, I, I didn't understand it when I was a kid. I guess I do now. But yeah, <laughs> uh, I really like that scene. I really liked like the different tones that can be set in like Final Fantasy VII because it has a lot of comedic elements. I'm not as big a fan of those, but it has like really, really dark uh, stuff too. Yeah, you in have a video Hojo, game that's mostly for these, kids. <laughs> yeah, you have Hojo doing these Nazi like Joseph Mengele experiments on yeah. uh, on Red Thirteen and on Sephiroth and on Genova, and then you have like a snowboarding mini game an hour later, like there oh, is- a weird section where you go to a brothel oh the honey there's like it's an interesting game it's an interesting game and it does have maybe of course darker themes than you would have expected to be in a game around that time i guess what i what i like about the final fantasy games and maybe about jrpgs in general is i feel like i see decisions storytelling narrative decisions made like what you guys just described that I would just like never see in like a Western movie or TV show. Right. Even like, you know, and I'm no expert on, on, on uh, the cinema of Japan or, or on, or on anime, but you know, anime sometimes gets kind of weird, but I feel like there's like, Nothing quite as odd as like kind of like just the bizarre sort yeah. of tangents you'll go on in a JRPG. Yeah, there, there's something. It's an interesting form of storytelling. I right. think these stories that are meant to be massive, meant to be like eighty hours long, so they're kind of like novels, but they also have to have gamey elements to yeah. them. And there's a lot to watch too because they're so long. They have like a novel. It has digressions where you have scenes that aren't necessarily connected to the main plot. And there's also like a world Side there. Uh, like w- like when I'm really thinking about like how much what I love about Final Fantasy VI is the sense of exploration, even though it's like 2D. But like it feels like you're discovering a whole like planet. Like that yeah. is just two planets, that's mind really. blowing. That's mind blowing to me. Yeah, it too. And then the world gets destroyed, and you get discovered again. Like that's just so mind blowing to me. Like there's almost nothing like in the way they. Uh, right. achieve it specifically by having like two modes of transportation where you're in the city and it's really you know detailed but then you have the world map where you're traveling over land like that i i don't and the music changes i, I just don't know how to explain like how the like, airship music will fun, always and, uh, make me happy yeah and the air and when you finally get the airship and you just go anywhere like that's just so mind-blowing to me it's so simple it's like just it's two mo- it's three modes of transportation like the city the world map, right. and then the airship and it's just all those things like it just going from one towards the other it's just it blows my mind every time i do it. it's so fun and you know that there's another moment there's a there's a really cinematic moment that you just you were touching on the different uh uh methods of map exploration leslie and the there's a there's a point in Final Fantasy VII where you know you spend the 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 basically the first act of the game in Midgar, and then when you finally emerge from Midgar, just how huge the world You've map never feels. seen yes. that world before. It's like insane the idea that like oh wow I spent and, and you know it's a little misleading because no individual world it, it's kind of like in Baldur's Gate two it's like that the you know the the main city there's no uh, no other area in the world that's quite as as dense with gameplay but it still is like an amazing effect I feel it just like that. 
that moment of freedom when you when you exit that initial area. And the music starts. Oh yeah, yeah. The score in seven is fucking awesome. It's it really is just this beautiful feeling. So yeah, Final Fantasy VII a a big turning point for the series. It's it's when you know the the. It was supposed to, they were developing for the Nintendo 64 at one point, and they just realized they didn't have the storage capacity. They go over the PlayStation, which of course is a huge change because, you know, they, they can hold like what, 64 bits or whatever, megabits, not megabytes on a, on a Nintendo 64 con, car, car. Oh, something like that. But yeah. yes, anyway, you're able to hold that so much more like video and exactly. music. Right. And, and yeah. so, and so that really transformed the, the aesthetic of the franchise because it went from this thing where it was like so much of it was text and, and the cut scenes were taking place yeah and sprites and taking place these in-engine cutscenes to these these beautiful for the time and i you know i think still like artistically beautiful pre-rendered pre-rendered cinematics and and you know these these more orchestral midi scores that i Mm -hmm. think kind of like uh really changed how people perceived it and made it more of a of a less of a niche jrpg and more of like this just like big budget a-list franchise yeah in the u.s at least so so were the games before because I'm not as familiar with the the ones that were on any uh, NES and Super NES. Uh, uh, what was Final Fantasy VII its first big break into more like sci-fi? Um, six was six. Had, yeah, six, six had, had a lot of steampunk. St- well, yeah, six had a lot of sci-fi and steampunk in it. Uh, seven, it does have a like a it it's because six starts off with like you're still going through like you know every town villages is like a village, right? And, yeah, and yeah. Stuff, but there's mechs. Yeah, and and there is one city, but uh, it's not that great. In uh, and there's still like castles and shit like that in right, six. Right, but there's but, also like trains and right. like you know there's there's a lot of uh, it's more steampunk. But seven is pretty seven like seven is straight, straight up sci-fi. sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah it's eight, urban. eight goes even further. Eight, eight is like you know has like like a, a, a space elements. It's like it's just like you know a, a dystopian future. It's like a hunger. It is game. a strange, strange game. I love eight. It's I, good. I think Eight I, might have the best score of any of them. Go, go ahead, I, Leslie. I hate eight. Eight is wow. definitely my probably my Renoa least favorite that I've on. played. Uh, I just think the story is so like like the main character. Uh, what's his name? Uh, what's the Squall main? Squall Leonhart. Squall. I think he's a chump. Squall Leonhart. I, he has a gun blade. <laughs> uh-huh. He's like, got he, a sword awesome. that turns into a gun when you uh, when you press R one mode. Yeah, you know, I, I, I really don't like the main character. I don't like the story. I don't like the twists that all the characters knew each other as children. Like, what the fuck? Right. I don't like that they chain villains like twice. Like the main like asshole that you that cuts your face at the in the uh, intro movie. You don't get to kill him. That's bullshit. And then like the main villain you fight for the rest of the movie turn uh, for the most of the game turns out she was your old nanny and you don't get to right. kill her either. It's very very She's unsatisfying. Also like an inter- Dimensional space demon lord. She's like Xenu, also. Yeah. This that is game the kind of storytelling into... that you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's, it's just, just bananas. I mean, just because I think because all the Final Fantasy games have summoning, which lets you contact spirits from other <laughs> realms to go and fight for you, right? Like that. There are. Uh, I mean, everybody listening to this who has played a Final Fantasy game knows this, but there are consistent elements in all of the games. Sure, they're, they're the creatures like the chocobos and the moogles and like the cactus enemies that you fight. Or whether it's the summons, uh, and, and uh, you know, in Final Fantasy VII, it's materia. In Final Fantasy VIII, it's the junction system, right? Which uh, sucks. Jun- which sucks. The junction you system have to... sucks. 
Yes. Having to absorb every spell every time for having to absorb those spells. That gets a little tedious, but it it also like and also it's just like some some of it's OP. Like you can just like very easily get you can uh, overpower and exploit it. it. Yeah, very very easily. It's eight has some problems. I find this was the character I used to do most of the cheesing. I made her very strong and I had her just kind of. I think eight. I think eight sent them down an aesthetic path uh-huh. that I think is has been detrimental to the series. Yeah, it was I, about, yeah. They, they definitely changed the character models from kind of this no more sort of representation. Yeah, and then they're they're like a little bit more human, uh, like human proportions, and right. it's a little Although, bit more realistic. Nine goes back to the block, which I love. Right. Actually, nine I think is so good, so cool. Nine is yes. so cool. It's like it's I mean, gorgeous. It's, 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 it's beautiful. I mean, it's, it's medieval Blade Runner with Shakespeare jokes. It is. It and 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 it's it's end of life PlayStation. So it's it's just, it's the like apotheosis of what a PlayStation game can be. They were the best at making PlayStation games right. at that point in time. Yeah, the 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 pre-rendered backgrounds in that game are gorgeous, and also too, just I and I can't remember the name of the character, the fucking weird ass chef with the long tongue. The, the <laughs> yeah, most what? fucking yeah, insane Queena? character design. I think it's Queena. Queena. Sounds right. Yeah, Queena sure. might be. <laughs> it's just like it's just like that. That's I love that that. That yeah. coexists with like other elements that are like maybe a little bit darker. Uh, the only thing I like, you know, Vivi, who's the the black mage in the yeah. game, sad a story. Yeah, but I, I I really I thought that ca- I really was hoping that character was gonna pay off in a in a in a more satisfying way, and I almost feel like they give it an unjustifiably uh, happy ending. But you know that a lot of the Final Fantasy I feel like kind of fall apart. Vivi, the third Vivi act. dies. Yeah, but but in the end, like Kite comes back and like had, like the the final cinematic. There's like VV like kids, right? Yeah, but they're not his. It's sort of like Red Thirteen at the end of Final Fantasy Seven. They're they're not him. He's mm. just. I thought that was really sad. Like, Maybe I misread it. Yeah, I don't know. I well, thought it's it open was... to interpretation, as all great art is. Yeah, of <laughs> <laughs> I, I just feel like like all these games get like like bananas at the end, and some of the the endings don't make sense. But that, sure. like, that's part of the fun of it. It's yeah. just like I, they, they, it's controlled chaos, and they can only control it so far. The final boss. It's interesting how Final Fantasy now that I, now that we're like discussing the PlayStation games in particular, but even going back to five and six, the game started a trend of there is a red herring boss who is usually a king or president or CEO or someone in a position of authority who is evil. And then usually by halfway or two-thirds through the game, there's a twist that there's like a a product of their madness ends up being the big bad. So Final Fantasy VI... You know, you're dealing with the Empire, and Kefka is the product of Empire. In Final Fantasy VII, it's Shinra's, you know, uh, y- using a draining, using Mako energy to kill the planet. The result is uh, Sephiroth. In Final Fantasy VIII, uh, God, I forgot her name, like Ultimicia or something oh, right. like that. It's the that same thing. Right. Like, she's a result of the, the these weird, like, military schools. Like, she's a product of this, this rift. Uh, and, and then with Nine... Uh, the villain, and I'm blanking out on his name, but he was he was like a mage puppet too, right? Who realized he was gonna die, so he lost his mind and killed the the psychotic queen. Yeah, it's it, all of these. It feels like the formula is like you kill the big bad guy, but then you also have to kill God. Yeah, it's, there's always like some there's another but, but thing. But like afterward. God made by man, <laughs> right? Yeah, failed God experiment, right? 
some gigantic like weird abomination um that also maybe you don't have any sort of uh, you you're like maybe like meeting for the first time sometimes <laughs> like, what is this okay i gotta kill that oh that's the ending all right which i guess, which I guess brings us into 10 with, yeah with ject and with sin I like. I mean, sin is great. Sin is just so insane and bananas. It uh, genuinely feels like a threat. Like with when sin shows up, it's like oh shit. Like there's kind of that oh shit factor. Uh, kind of like the the nemesis in Resident Evil. I feel like kind of accomplished. Right. Oh, there's a, there's a genuine threat when this thing yeah. is present. The nemesis is scary as hell. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's it's not like a horror game, but it still kind of like feels like oh, there's 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 definitely something here. I, and, and you know, I I I think mean, the way Jack is handled is kind of. It's it, it's kind of crazy, but like I kind of buy it too. Like it's just it's it's kind of weird to like uh uh you know have a big fight with your dad like a monster <laughs> version of your dad. But it's kind of cool. It goes back to killing God. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. The thing. Yeah. It, it, but but I mean I, I want to step back for a second because you touched on it and this is one we haven't really talked about very much and I, I don't there's maybe not as much to talk about because it's 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 of the the 16-bit and forward Final Fantasies. It's one of the ones with the most anemic storyline. But Final Fantasy V, a lot of people love. It, it was not localized uh, for the Super Nintendo generation. It only came out later. So we got here we got 4 as 2, and then 6 as 3. 5 was not even given to us. <laughs> so a lot of people came to 5 later, but... but a lot of people love it because of the job system. It's like it's it's got a oh, lot I of. I guess I've heard depth. about this. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can really like you know do a lot with the. Uh, oh, in terms of like, like how you're, 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 you're customizing your characters. Yeah, you can be a dragoon. Yeah, and and and, and I, I mean, there is. I feel like they kind of got away from that a little bit. I guess probably the, uh, uh, you know, the 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 grid system we have in ten is maybe somewhat akin to that. The sphere of- grid is actually my favorite leveling system in the Final Fantasy. Yeah, the sphere series. grid is great. I and I love the ATB, so I'm glad that ten has the ATB, the active time right. battle system. Uh, I love the English names for all of these things too. Yeah, I should. I, I I did zero prep. <laughs> well, you know, I I, I like uh, sixes better because like every character was unique and had their own ability, and you right. could have your favorites, and you had to kind of some of the abilities like took a lot of work, like Gal. His fucking thing, where you had to send him off with a an, with one of the enemies, and then he would come back like at a random time later. Yeah, with the new ability, such a fucking pain in the ass <laughs> uh, to do, such a pain in the ass, but uh, some somewhat worth it uh, every once in a while. But I, I kind of I like six because it made every character was unique and different, and sometimes right. you had to use yeah. certain characters, and you had to be good with all of them basically in order to uh, function. I was just going to say Octopath Traveler has a Final Fantasy V style job system. Oh. Can, each character can actually get two jobs. Oh, interesting. It's fun. Um, Sounds like the app that, economy. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it, it is interesting. There's like a little bit of a, a regression and then a return in both the this Super Nintendo trilogy and the PlayStation trilogy. Like Final Fantasy IV, it's like every character is very specialized. Then we go to five, which has this job system, and every character can kind of be whatever. Then you go back to six, every character is even more specialized. Um, and you know, four has this rich, vibrant story. Five has kind of an anemic story. Six has like the uh, maybe the most developed story of any Final Fantasy. Uh, same sort of thing with seven, eight, nine. Seven, you know, has has kind very of like this cinematic, exactly story based. Eight, anemic, right. Nine. Wow, and and the, the the aesthetic of it, like the the you know, like like Jack was saying, you've got this like closer to realistic human proportions that you that they uh, go back on in in, in, ten. in in nine. 
Yeah. And then, or, oh no, they go back on it and not, yeah, but then yeah. they they reuse it in ten. They reuse then, it in ten, and then they never went back. They never went back, and yeah, you kind I kind you kind of hope that like oh it'd be cool if like sixteen they just sort of like had like these. It would be so if cool it was if it was shaded just, like Borderlands right. or something. Well, if it was just you know little guys, like right. part of the fun <laughs> of old RPGs is like. Like, it's these big, complex stories, but it's, like, funny little guys right. running around, you, you like, know, little tiny Cooney guys. has, like, a cool art style, and so does... So yeah, like that's old, true. There are, like, old PlayStation 2 games. Like, the cell-shaded art style, I think, is, like, the closest thing you can get to sprites in a 3D I game. actually think Final Fantasy VII is the closest you can get to sprites. Like, these mm-hmm. blocky, like, kind of abstract versions that are very low-fi. Do like, they really have a texture to them either? Yeah, I think that they're... I think that's maybe the closest you get to, like, the feel of sprites in 3D. It actually made me realize that the shift in art style from Final Fantasy VII to Advent Children and then in Crisis Core was less appealing to me. Well, and it makes me... And I realize that's probably why I'm not that stoked for the FF7 I'm remake. Not- and I don't know. I, I, mean, it, I look. I think it could be really funny. Even I, I'm looking cut at the it. In. I'm looking at it like this. I, I think it's probably going to be a very good game, and the plot of Final Fantasy VII is cool, so it'll be cool to play. Right. But it's not going to have that same charm to me. Like, and this is not what Cloud looks like. Like, Cloud does not look like a tall blonde man. Yeah. It's odd. Looks it's like a, a little look, odd. He looks like a cactus with like a... What do you think, Leslie? I think I think Cloud... I actually like prefer like the CGI Cloud. And it's in the original game too. It's in all the cutscenes. Like he looks like that That's in, some, in some of the cutscenes. So, sure. But moving on Editing, to the... the, the let's, you know, let's get to the full tall area of the model games. 12, 13, and 15. Um, I love love 12. I think it's We're skipping might, the MMOs. We're just going to Yeah, yeah, let's skip the MMOs. Don't don't okay. fucking count. But 12 I think is just goddamn They do count, amazing. but we can still skip them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 12 I think is really amazing because first of all, it is Star Wars. All the characters are just the characters from Star Wars. Balthiar is uh, Han Solo, Van, Van is hmm. uh, Luke. Yeah. Like you have the princess who's yeah, Pinello's Chewbacca, even though that, yeah. that may be racist to say. I, I feel like it might be a little bit racist to one of those species to say to just because they're furry <laughs> that they're the same thing. But it, it's close enough. Like, I guess Chewbacca was the first furry and just like she uh, Pine- uh, and uh, what's her name? Uh, Pinello just lady. carries on the tradition. Oh, no. Yeah. Pinello is the like the friend. I guess she's not a character in Star Wars. But uh, you have Chewbacca. You have the rabbit she's, lady. She's actually Biggs and Wedge, who were much bigger part of Star Wars and then cut. Oh, from, right. From the movies, but then part of the expanded universe, which a Final Fantasy game would have time to develop. <laughs> and actually, but, Biggs and Wedge are the names of characters in various old Final Fantasy games. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. Six, yeah. seven, and I believe eight and nine, too. Yeah, uh, they're, in, uh, they're in tons of them. But I really like 12. Uh, I feel like a lot of people didn't appreciate 12 because it came out like on PlayStation 2, like after PlayStation three was already out so a lot yeah. of people skipped oh, wow. it so but they do have a remaster that just came out i would definitely recommend people check it out but the only Maybe way I'll to play it, it i never played it you have to get a strategy guide this is how you used to play games back then all right you need a strategy guide you right. buy one from, from uh, prima as yeah, a book right? yeah not not the game facts i'm a brady no. games guy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
but yeah, I, I really go to bat for Fantasy 12. That's my favorite of the modern ones. I didn't really play wow. 13. I played a little bit of 15. Like, it's fun, but it really just doesn't feel like Final Fantasy. So I haven't played 15 yet, but I beat 13. And 13 was a drag to me because it, it was actually one hallway most of the game. You are just going down one path almost the entire game. Yeah, um, weird. There is very I never played it. little, and there are no stores and villages. You don't talk to people. You just walk. There are cutscenes. There's combat. You walk. There are cutscenes. There's combat, and that's most of the game. Like there's yes. occasionally like there's like a split path where there's like a treasure chest if you take a right instead of a left. That's but pretty much it. The, the lightning saga is. I mean, I don't mind linear games. I don't mind the occasional, you know, walking simulator. Simulator. Uh, one game I, I really. But not in Final Fantasy. Yeah. Not in Final. Yeah, Fantasy. Not in Final Fantasy. Yeah. Exactly. Like there is a place. There yeah. is a place for the kind of that kind of gaming, and uh, it's not in Final Fantasy. It also felt like they, they made three of them, which was just bizarre. Final Fantasy Thirteen was an entire trilogy, and I. Look, you know, I don't know why, but my assumption is is that Square Enix spent so much fucking money on the engine and the graphics, and they had this weird Fabula Nova Crystalis thing where they were planning like Final Fantasy thirteen verses, which became Final Fantasy fifteen. Uh, and then there was like these like supposed to be these phone spinoffs, and I think they only came out in Japan. And oh right, yeah, there there was this entire thing they were planning for years and years and years, and then it just fell apart. And I think they just had all this money. They spent, and they're like, well, I guess we just like use these assets and make three games. Yeah. And Final Fantasy is 15 is technically like in that same universe. They started developing it around the same time. So it's really I, Final I Fantasy 13 Part 4. It's not in the universe. I think they actually did, they did ultimately change. Yeah, it's yeah. like in a different universe altogether. Um, I like 15, actually. I played 15. I beat 15. Uh, it's flawed. Uh, and it, and I definitely don't like the art style as much. Um, but I, I do think that the combat is pretty fun in it. It does have a lot of charm and the friendship between the guys yeah. is top notch. Yeah. The friendship yeah, I, is kind of cool. Yeah. The friendship is good. <laughs> I've, uh, I, I, you know, I, this is so the from 12 on and 12 is the only of one of these I've played it, you know basically after the PlayStation 2 era is where I, I start to have large gaps in my gaming knowledge because that's when I became an adult and when yeah. I was in adulthood I just like played games less but yeah um, well. I think I think you, uh, you got to step it up then. Yeah, I really do. do I would actually, <laughs> man, I would love to play more video. The, the shittiest part of my life is that I have I don't get to play as many video games. Step it up then. Now. Step it I can, up. I buy games and I don't have time to play them. It's yeah. it's a nightmare. You got to make uh, time. Yeah, I know I should. I, well, you're right. <laughs> this is the best talk I needed. Uh, Final Fantasy 12 is great. It's really good. I mean, I, I JDB I think mentioned this off pod, but the battle system they uh, they. They reworked in twelve, and it, it's kind of like I, I don't love the battle system in twelve, but I I like it's the very world Bioware. A lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, okay. it, twelve feels like Square's first attempt at making a Final Fantasy game for Western audiences over Japanese. Audiences. Right. They were trying to like be like, okay, we need to try to uh, you know we need to set because it was the la- it was towards the end of the PlayStation Two generation. It was sort of like we need to come up with a was it right? That was a PlayStation Two game, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So it was, it was at the tail end of PlayStation Two generation. So I think they were kind of like trying to set the table for what they were going to do with Final Fantasy. And yeah, like JDB said, it was like 
they, I think they did try to cater it towards Western audience. It feels the most like a PC RPG of, of any of the Final Fantasies. Um, now I'm excited to play it on the PC. Huh. Yeah, maybe that's the way maybe to experience I get it, it. Actually, maybe I'll play it. Um, and then uh, uh, thirteen, you know, I just heard was was bad, which was a bummer. Fifteen, I've, I've I heard was unfinished, and um, I, I think that's the one where I've heard the PC version is the one to play. But yeah, I think it's now finished. So. Right. It's cool. It's, I like the way games are made now. Uh, it's very cool <laughs> the way they release video games right. uh, here in It's good that the uh, AAA uh, the studios age. embrace early access, Yeah, which was designed nice. for indie developers yeah. with no money. Well, I like when they do early access, but they don't tell you that it's early access. Right. <laughs> I like when it, they just do the release date, and they're like, surprise, it was early access. It's a full uh, price retail call game, the, but it's actually an, an open beta. Yeah. It's called the No Man's Sky. Yeah. Uh, right. Which actually, you know, the I, I actually was like, well, the new No Man's Sky is pretty good. I played the update, and it actually does still suck. It is still boring. <laughs> it's just boring <laughs> to go around planets and, like, pick rocks and shit, you know. Too many games have uh, uh, cutting down trees, I right. think. Too many cutting down trees in games. I mean, well, is that it then? We've talked through all yeah. the Final Fantasies. We at didn't this talk point. about Chrono Trigger, but maybe that's its that's own. Not, that's not a Final Fantasy, Fantasy game. It's close. <laughs> Um, I, I will say that I I might like Chrono Trigger more than any individual Final Fantasy, but the Chrono series does sure. not hold a candle to yeah. the Final Fantasy series. And I think yeah. that yeah. potential Chrono Cross it just sucks. Chrono Fuck. Cross is not great. No, it's yeah, not. It's, it's not, not at all. It doesn't work well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I love the Final Fantasies. I mean, this is this discussion is to make me want to to play the ones I haven't played and to replay the me ones too. I have played. It, they, they're it, it's such a it's such an awesome. Vi- they each have these. This was a thing we barely even touched on, but each one is its own like world, basically. Yeah, fully, and, a yeah. fully fleshed out world. That's a fascinating choice to make. <laughs> yeah, to not it really be like, is. To, to not be like Lord of the Rings or Star Wars and have this as the sort of coherent uh, uh, universe, but each one is an individual universe with some yeah, thematic elements. endings are good and serialization is overrated, but right. no one believes that in yes. peak content world. And it's yeah. funny, Final Fantasy they... gets more shit for continuing just because of the title. It's called Final right. Fantasy. Yeah. It's supposed <laughs> to be the Final Fantasy. But they fantasy. get more, cr- but they get a bunch of crap for like continuing to yeah. allegedly milk the series when they create something new, pretty much every time. Absolutely. Well, we love the work they're doing over there at Square Enix, but that's all the you know Final Fantasies there are. So that's gonna have to be it. Yeah. Uh, well, no, there's Final Fantasy Adventure. Yeah, there's no other Final Fantasies. There's, the there's definitely not like 40 other Final Fantasy right. games we can talk to. Those are about that's uh, uh those are the only Final Fantasies, but. Hey Nick, do you have any final thoughts on Final Fantasy before we before we let you go here? You know what? I in terms of music I like to listen to when I'm like got some writing work to do. I know this about you. Yeah. That's a score I will put on. I will put on the I will just find like a YouTube playlist of like, you know, the entire Final Fantasy 8 score, the entire Final Fantasy 10 score, uh Final Fantasy 6, whatever. I'll, I'll just uh, I I could list them all and I'll I'll just listen to that music as I'm working or like a compilation of all the battle themes or all the town themes or all the world map themes. Right. It's just like like a lot of it is Nobuo Ematsu um and, and there's some other composers who have worked on the series, but it's just like it's so. It, 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 I, I think the music is just so awesome, and and it's yeah. like cheesy when it needs to be cheesy, which is great. It's just like earnest and like Very sort earnest. of like like you know prog rocky when it needs to be. It's just it, I I love how uh, I, I love how the music is, um, and I, I think that's an element that like even if you're not someone who has immersed yourself in all the games, like the scores are a thing you could get wrapped up in. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's a uh, cool metal cover band. For Final Fantasy scores too, it's called the Black Mages. Yes, they've been around for years and years and years. Check them out. Check them out. 
Uh, well, that yeah, uh, uh, Jonathan. I know you listen to the Sonic music a lot, right? I listen to lots of video game music. It's uh, it's like a thing that helps me sleep and is comforting yeah. and calming and even just amps me up. It's yeah. fun to work out. To I think a music. lot of modern music comes from video game music. I, I, yeah, I really I do. Think actually, probably uh, the majority of the soundtrack to you know, I think. I, I, mean, listen, I listen to Drive like and I'm like, this sounds like Chemical yeah. Plant Zone. Like. I was going to say, I was going to say, <laughs> the, out, the Outrun, uh, a huge stra- strain of electronic music and synthes- and music from synthesizers yeah. uh, owes chiptune uh, a huge gratitude. Debt of gratitude. Gratitude. Debt of gratitude. They sure do. Blah, 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 it's time blah. to pay the due. Yeah. Chip, um, the EDM guys. Pay your respects to the chiptunes. If you're out there listening By the right way, now, new Streets of Rage game coming out, but apparently the music's all wrong. So I don't know if oh, I even want to play yeah. it. I like, like the trailer. Yeah. Well, um, we'll give it a shot. All right. Well, that's that then. Uh, Nick, do you want do you want to plug anything? You know what? Uh, listen to my podcast with my, with my friend Mike Mitchell, Doughboys, the podcast about You guys were in an argument today, right? We got in an argument. Oh, I don't want to get into it. Uh, but, uh, we got in an IRL argument. See, see guys, it's podcast. not just kayfabe. They really do get annoyed with each other, <laughs> right. and they're just like weird little guys. We really hate the show. We really hate doing it, working with each other. But we keep doing it because we, we have to at this oh, you're, point. So, yeah, you're not allowed to say that you don't like doing the show. Uh, Actually, yeah. Oh, right. right. You'll right. shit. You'll catch shit for yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Stop Actually, saying that. You're not maybe, allowed to. Right. Maybe Nick should be the fourth character in our original Sin 2 game we're going to be starting up. Oh, what's that? The original Sin 2 game. The Divinity original suit. Oh, oh. Is that what you want to do? Yeah. Uh, 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 maybe. Maybe we'll do that. We might do a game of Divinity original Sin 2 uh, uh, on stream. Yeah, uh, I, I uh, have. The, it's a game I got in my Steam library. Oh, and you I got it. I haven't played it We've yet. We've all got it, but it's it's all co-op. So oh, we're, maybe we're thinking maybe we'll about get you starting on board like a stream where we just like once a week or something like that just played for an hour or two. I would love to accidentally kill all of you guys by misclicking because that's what I do in PC RPGs. It's a very hard game. It's a. It can it's be very, a very hard, hard, but there there isn't. I, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I, I just would I would create a new character for the game we put together, and I would correct some mistakes I made. Also, by Act Two, you can respec anybody whenever you want, which is one of the coolest things ever. So you can just change your class, you can change all your skills, you can really experiment. It's a lot of fun. Uh, guys, I just want to say thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here for your 100th episode. Wow. Congrats on 100 episodes. Oh, wow. Thank, thank you so, so much. much. You guys are doing a great thing. We made thing. it. Yeah, there we go. Uh, it's, it's it, you know, it's it, whatever. It's, it's I, I know milestones are, are like, you guys all have like these kind of uh, this, uh, a little bit of ironic detachment of everything, but it, it's not a milestone. I. Oh, not me. <laughs> not I, me. I want to thank my parents, Jeff and Ellen, <laughs> my I'm brother and earnest. sister, Matthew and Emily, all right, my girlfriend, well, uh, Margarita. I love well, you all. We, we did it. We made 100 episodes, uh, so thank you all. And that is cool. It is nice that every... It is cool that everyone listened to the, you know, to, uh, for us to uh, even do 100 episodes. Thank you so much, guys. Listening. Thank we're, you all for listening. We're very thank grateful. Thank you to the, uh, the, the Patreon uh, uh, subscribers, uh, because that's very cool uh, i mean uh, it is it is actually your word of mouth and you talking about this show that uh keeps us alive so yeah. not no pressure or anything but we really do appreciate uh that a lot you know yeah. uh, uh, yeah. quick quick pitch for you guys uh moving forward a uh, little rebrand muggle session <laughs> to a Harry Potter cast. good night everybody That's thank you night. for letting Bye. us thank do 100 you. episodes thank you so much peace
like what you hear, want to hear more, check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.